the garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Mid-South Gardening. Glad you can... <laughs> Headgummit, here you go again. Well, I'm sliding off the chair. Yeah, my earphones are just breaking in half. They're just flapping all around. So let me try it again. Good morning. Good good morning, Miss Feta. Here we go. All right, here we are. Good thing we're gardeners because, you know, sometimes this looks like we have never done this before. These headphones, I'm telling you, just I think they've got to go finally. I know. Let's see. I think we're on about your 12th year of saying that with these headphones, And I think the headphones themselves are about 20 years old. Yeah. But it's kind of like an old pair of jeans. They feel good. I know, right? Right? They don't squeeze your ears. You're used to how it sounds. Well, let's see. So that would be like about seven years after we started. You're talking about your headphones. <laughs> That's hilarious. Well, but you know, I keep saying I'm going to change them out, but I, I hadn't done it yet, and I'm probably not. I know. Why? So just every let, time I put them on just... head, they're just going to snap in half again. I mean, you know, I've got a little tape on them already. <laughs> it's like our glasses. Huh? And, and, you know, honestly, probably the newer headphones out there now mm-hmm. probably sound so much better. Yeah, I bet they do. But you, you know? get used to the way you sound. So if it's different, then it's it seems like it's harder <laughs> at first because I'm like that's that's not me. But good morning, how was your week, man? Let's see. You know the weather was pretty decent. Um, Let me say this, okay? okay? Say it. You know what kind of winter? I mean, uh, summer we just went through. Oh my gosh, brutal, right? Yes. And I was thinking, okay. Anytime I see a temperature under 108 degrees, uh-huh. I'm going to feel pretty good about right, it, right? Right. Well, until at 93, I felt like I was going to die. I'm like, what? <laughs> what's my problem? <laughs> what's yeah. <laughs> like, when did 93 become so hot? Because uh, normally if it was, you know, 98 and then they go, today is 93, we'd be excited. Exactly. Yeah, now we're going, what is 93? 93 is still hot. Yeah, but... The sun's still hot, no matter what the temperature is, the sun is still hot. And of course, you know, like me and Paul, Mr. Paul's always said, faux fall. Oh, yeah. And then, you know, I'm almost confused with the seasons again, like all year I have been because... Welcome to Memphis. Yeah. I mean, all or the last half of August, I seriously feel like I'm in September. And uh, But, I mean, we've been selling shrubs and, oh, and yeah. things like that because people are getting ready. I mean, you can really plant. You can plant now. It's not going to be as intense or as hard as it would have been if you planted in July. That is so true. I mean, I tell people you can plant mid-July if you do it the right mm-hmm. way and you're going to be around water. I mean, think about it. Mm-hmm. You know, it really doesn't matter. Now, the less risky time for most of us that don't really pay attention to a plant after we plant it, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's going to be in the spring or in the fall, right? Yeah, right. But, and, and then fall, you know, just right around the corner. So, you know, Danwes Garden Centers, Palladios, mm-hmm. other ones are gearing up. You know, we're getting new nursery mm-hmm. stock in. Got moms in the other day. Yeah, yeah. You know, they're not blooming yet, but uh-huh. they're, and they got pansies coming in next week. Oh, no, I'm still waiting. And look, Maybe. We, we know, know it's early, you know. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, people usually associate pansies with cooler temperatures, mm-hmm. Veda. But people that are having these little get-togethers, these parties, you know, they want something out there in their pots or yeah. in front of their door, and they just do it. I know, you know. I know. You know, it's like I have a little bit of celosia, shrimp plant, yep. and caladiums yeah. to left, but not left because they're going to look good in some fall containers, mm-hmm. you know, with some ornamental grass or some yeah, exactly. croton. 
Crotons, Croton. Uh, they, yeah, so there's still fall colors See, in there. And I've always liked the way you think out of the box when it comes to containers, you know, because I know your mother used to do this too. You know, you mentioned a croton, which is typically either a tropical or a house plant, mm-hmm. and then ornamental grasses, and maybe some dwarf mondo, yeah, and then a little yeah. color in there. Some herbs it, hanging yeah, over. It doesn't have to be just a bedding plant right. or a shrub in a container yeah. for it to look good, you know? Yeah, yeah. And more people are going into the a little bit more native look, kind of a groomed native look, possibly. Even in the, because uh, we make up color bowl or container gardens mm-hmm. for inside. And the ones that, the ones that are so perfect looking, you know, the the tall blooming thing, the one little fern that hangs over and the other color house plant, there's, it's still a nice combination, but it seems that the ones that we're planting up more native looking even for house plants more textures more architectural look more into the containers people are going for those are the ones that are going quicker than what we used to use all so the it doesn't time. have to be the thriller the filler and the mm-hmm. uh the spiller right 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 like for the house plant yeah um types of containers for outside we're still doing filler thriller spiller and you know it it just makes sense sometimes I'm planting containers and I go okay let's just quit doing filler thriller spiller so no matter how you do it it's thriller filler spiller (laughs) it is it is you know I mean I agree with you and then you know I got to say this real quick Veda you know anytime because people are going to start changing things out whether it's in their beds or whether it's in their containers and we talk about this every week okay (laughs) is if you need to re-fluff your soil a little bit, and typically you do when you start pulling all your annual color or whatever it is in your containers, you typically have to add a little more soil back in there, okay? And that's when I take the time to really kind of work it in. Instead of putting some just on top, I kind of work it in and use a good high-quality, you know, potting mix, potting soil, if you Mm -hmm. will. Uh, And then even outside in the beds, when you're pulling all that stuff up, you know, now Jim Crowder used to say, don't pull it up, just cut it off at ground Mm -hmm. level, let the roots just uh, biodegrade and turn into compost, right? Right, right. I'm still doing old school. I pull the things up, knock the dirt Mm -hmm. off. But a lot of times you still have to come back and add a little soil to those little front bed areas. Right, yeah, some booster to it. Yeah, exactly. So you kind of, you got to re-energize your soil, Mm -hmm. you know, and getting ready for the new season's crop if you will yeah exactly yeah i wondered if i left i've tried to do that but then the root system is so good that the planting in it becomes not as fun i guess or a little bit extra energy man we have to save our energy but then it's like okay should we use our energy or should we keep it in the ground for composting and then i'm thinking well does it take nutrients out of the soil to break down all that other well the microbes are going to do it you you know and you got microbes in there and compost is going to build up your microbe numbers so right so it's a win-win you know it really is i think it just depends on the effort or how your root system is i Mm. definitely tried to do that in a container but you know a container doesn't have any room to let one piece biodegrade you're digging through roots and everything yeah so i did have to change that out well and and then you know we were talking about some of the plants that keep on giving, you know, mm-hmm. like crepe myrtles after you cut them down, how they just keep coming <laughs> yeah. up. They just don't want to die. Yeah. Well, I planted some vinca, uh, old periwinkle, mm-hmm. bedding plant, uh, in a front bed last year. 
And, you know, my wife wanted something different this year. So she went out, her and my, my daughter, and picked out some sun patients, okay? Mm-hmm. Well, they look good, I told you, for about two or three work weeks in the spring when it was a little cooler. And this faces west, mm-hmm. just dead heat, right? Well, before you know it, these things are dying. They're getting just way too much sun, uh-huh. just too oh. much. Well, the vinca started coming back. Oh, from the seed? From the seed, yeah. and, the, and it looks great, oh. I'm telling you. Oh, so see, that's the way to do it. Yeah. Because, you know, vinca seed reseed all the time, but it takes it a while to grow. It did. And I mean, you're not wanting to see that, but you can plant some flowers in there. Well, <laughs> early on, I was pulling yeah. the little, you know. The, did you? Yeah, I was yes, pulling them yes. up and trying to keep the bed as clean as possible. And then I realized where the sun patients are dying Mm -hmm. because they're in way too much sun, probably not getting quite enough water, okay? I said, well, maybe I'm going to quit weeding my bed because Mm -hmm. these are periwinkles that are coming up. And I'm telling you, it is in mass, and it looks great. It looks like I did it on purpose. Yes. Oh, man, that's the thing about seeds. You know, they come out more natural-looking, stronger. Seeds do seem to come out stronger. Now, whether they'll come back next year or not, they probably will. Mm -hmm. We'll see. Um, So I'm thinking I'm just going to leave that area alone and just see what happens, you know? Yeah, so you're you're experimenting. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm doing. I'm trying to get out of planning, okay? Yeah, so now now your son and patients are dying. So tell me, Kenneth, did you break the root balls up when you planted it? Yes, yes. (laughs) I mean, really, I did it all. And I'm telling you, they were absolutely beautiful. And and I know son patients, you know, it's got sun in the Mm. word, okay? (laughs) But my Western exposure is really brutal Mm -hmm. now the ones that were behind the tree that got still faces west they didn't get quite as much sun they fared you know much better but the ones that were out there in full blazing sun because you remember it got hot overnight right yeah we did lose so these plants weren't really entrenched just yet and they man they suffered they Mm -hmm. struggled and then, of course, you had to go out there and do more watering than normal, and it, it just it didn't work, you know. Yeah, they couldn't take up the water fast enough. It's like when it gets over a certain uh, temperature and heat, they just are sitting there surviving. It you know, tough. they're not. You can put the root stimulator and all that on. The micro microorganisms will still be working it in the soil, but the plant itself is unable to pull it up. Mm. And then, you know, that's how it all works here with the Mid-South and, and other areas, too. But sun and patience a lot of times means sun in California, sun in Florida, mm-hmm. um, or where they can last over the winter and get more established. So in Mid-South, it's almost like every single thing needs some shade for a minute. Yeah, I think a sun patient around here maybe means morning sun, okay? Yeah, yeah. And, and I've seen them out there in, in a good bit of sun. But I'm just but telling they, you, it was just, you know, there again, we only had those three weeks of mm-hmm. nice spring weather and it got blazing hot overnight and that was part of the problem too because they weren't really established by the time it got really hot true and i am excited about the fall coming Mm. up and you know hopefully the fall is going to be longer than shorter like spring but there's going to be a lot of folks that weren't able to plant in the spring Mm -hmm. but are really ready to do in the fall Mm -hmm. yeah because there's a lot of people walking through uh, the garden center at this moment planning Mm -hmm. because they're still waiting a little bit longer to plant yeah well, we're going to run to a break, and we would like you to give us a call, 260-5926, or post your question on Facebook Live. 
<laughs> Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. We do have a podcast, so if you miss some, then you'll be able to hear it later. KWMRadio.com. Yeah. Streaming live all the time, Miss Veda. That's right. So also, if you're having trouble picking us up, you can um, stream us. No, sure. Took me forever to understand stream us. Why don't they? Why don't they just say watch or listen to you live on the radio? No, we got to stream. Same thing. I know, but it took me a long time to learn. Oh, you mean listen live on the radio? <laughs> Streaming. I guess that has to do with TV, too. Uh, I would know all this if I watched it all the time. Well, uh, we're still having Japanese maple problems out there. Man. Had a lady come into the garden center twice this week. Not the same lady, but two different people with pictures or videos, if you will. And the bark on the south or west, the southwest side of the trunk is split, cracked, peeling off. Ooh. And that's where that's what that's the damage that happened last winter. Mm-hmm. You know, it was freezing, below freezing for over a week, but then the sun would come out. Even though it was still below freezing, the sun was still out on a clear day. And the sun was hitting that that southern or western side of the trunk of the tree. And it was there again, these thin skinned mm-hmm. trees like dogwoods and Japanese <laughs> Just these thin skinned <laughs> uh, dogwoods and Japanese maples. And it would just the you know, the tissue would expand because it was warmer on that side of the trunk than it was mm-hmm. on the other yeah. side. And then at night it would contract and then expand, contract, and you get these big splits and lesions in there. And this lady had had this Japanese maple for about 15 years. And then, like I told her, what really compounded the problem also, Veda, was the dang summer that we just went through. You know, so these things didn't have a chance, I'm telling Mm you. Uh, And so she brought in some limbs, and, you know, you scratch it, and it's just dead as a doornail. And I said, well, go home, give it the scratch test, get your thumb, and just scratch the tissue and see if there's any green in there. And she said, already did that. (laughs) I said, what'd you find? She said, no green. (laughs) And I like, said, well, if you don't find any green, it's it's dead. It's you, not going to come back. She was coming to you for hope. I guess. Or maybe just wanted that little shove, you know, just to go ahead and get rid of the Either thing. Either way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then the other uh, lady I was talking to about her Japanese maple, really the same symptoms, except it was just bigger chunks that were coming off. And she still had some green on one side of her tree. Okay? Mm-hmm. And I said, if that's the case, then... What I would probably do if it was mine, I would just leave it alone, get all the loose flaky bark off of there, Mm -hmm. and you can spray the trunk of the tree with just a generic insecticide to keep the insects out. I said, but what's probably going to happen next spring, and this is when you're going to know more than anything on this particular tree, is you're going to have half the tree come out and half the tree not. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. Now, if you go in there and cut out what's dead, then you got to make a determination, okay, do I want to keep this lopsided tree? You know, or do I want to uh-huh. just go ahead and get rid of it? Because it could be artistic <clears throat> or bonsai-like. It could be, Veda. Yeah. And that's what I said. You know, so I said, you got to just step, step back and take a look after you cut all the dead tissue out and just, you know, do I want to keep this thing or not? You yeah. know? Yeah. And I'm the same way as I <clears throat> like to prune and try to make it happen. And, you know, if you've got a, a yard that you have more natural and all, that's easier to do. But if that's your statement, yeah, that's phase, your center point, then, yeah. you know, probably not. Now, and I get it. it's not on, only on Japanese maples. You know, there are a lot of times where we got to go out there and do some heavy pruning, cut out dead mm-hmm. tissue, whether it's azaleas, boxwoods, or whatever. You yeah. know, a lot of times you got a big chunk of a boxwood dying right, out. Right, right. You know, and so you, you just have to make that determination, okay, do I want to be patient and see what happens? Mm-hmm. 
or do I want to just go ahead and get rid of this thing and replant it? You know, there's there's a lot of uncertainty when you start cutting large yeah, sections out of a plant. It is. Or even, I know it's been there 15 years, but I've struggled with the maple before where I would say it's just gone, but dug it up because I didn't want to get rid of it and planted it in another location, and wow. it grew out fantastic. So if she doesn't like it where she it is, maybe transplant it because it should start coming out on that side that's open. You would think sun. eventually, and then, like you said, okay, well, it's been there for 15 years. If I dig it up, it's going to die. Well, if you cut it down, it's going to die, too. Yeah. You know, right. so you have no, everything to gain and nothing yeah. to lose by trying to dig the thing mm-hmm. up and move it somewhere else, if that's, an, you know, an option for you. Like I said, you have nothing to lose yeah. Yeah, at exactly. that point, you know? Well, that think, makes me think of the time we decided to transplant a Japanese maple. It was a weeping one, but Love em. it wasn't huge, and the root ball... Pretty was, big. What's that? Two and a half, maybe feet yeah, across. Yeah, something like that. And I was so nervous. We were doing it in September, which was closer, which the end of September. So this was a client's house that already had an established Japanese mm-hmm. maple, and y'all were going to try to move this thing yeah. and hope and pray that yeah. moving it didn't kill it. Right. We had all the you know first root pruned it, then we came back next week. Huh. You know, because I'm trying to get more roots that we wouldn't actually damage. Uh, cut it, you know, dug it out, but we had a piece of burlap, a couple mm. of pieces of burlap, and just took it up. I had a number of guys lift it out of the hole Gently. just so nothing would come off the roots. Yeah. I mean, it's rooted real good, but the dirt would pull and put stress on the roots when mm. you left it out. And then we put it on the burlap. And, and we drug it, or they, we, we yeah, well, they you, drug you were there. it. Yeah, I was going how to do it. Doesn't that count? Yes, it does. And then they took it over and gently set it back into the hole. And, of course, the hole didn't have to be deep, deep, deep. No, just as deep as the root ball yeah. that you dug out. Right, yeah. and then gently put soil. When you had to make sure there was no air pockets, because you know how sometimes you'll um, dig the, the bottom of it, too small Mm. so then when you set that root ball in there you've got a big air pocket up under under there yeah yeah so you've got to watch that and then also we'll put the tree in and you never push the soil down around the root ball because it's never tight because you're putting it in you can have air pockets so when so you, i do push the dirt around the root yeah ball. Yes. you have to push it down in the hole and then water it in thoroughly to get that soil to settle yeah and then you may have to add more we right. usually have to add more did it make know? it yes it made it and of course it you use root stimulators you know after yeah, you planted the super it thrive. And, yeah. and lightly mulch the thing in and told her to keep it warm mm-hmm. moist not wet yeah Wow. So y'all did. I mean, y'all dug Mm -hmm. one up. And see, that's the thing. That's different from digging up a $20 azalea. I know. Or a holly. Yeah, you're digging (laughs) up a, you know, a $300 tree. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so, you know, just just the monetary value of it, you you just don't want the thing to die. And then it, it becomes an emotional value to the homeowner, actually. So because it was like, if it was a holly... I would have said, oh, just dig that up and throw it in that hole over there. With Japanese maple, we've got everything laid out like we're doctors. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, for people, though, that do have Japanese maples, and you did see some damage, uh, either from this summer's heat or from last winter, uh, or or a combination of the two, uh, what I was telling this young lady is get a little putty knife or something and just kind of gently remove any of that flaky, cracky, loose bark. Mm-hmm. It's coming off anyway. 
Uh, and yeah. I'm not saying dig into good green tissue, but just get that dead stuff mm-hmm. off of there. And then, yes, you can come back and spray the little wound or the big wound with a you know generic insecticide. Uh, and like I told her, I said, then what's going to happen, the bark is going to try to callus over. You know how you see mm-hmm. where you've had a wound yeah. and the bark just calluses on the ends right there? And I said, you know, if it's not too much damage, I mean, this thing will be, you know, okay, honestly. Yeah. Now, you know, let's speed forward to this coming winter. Uh, you know, it might come, if you know you're going to get a cold spell, Veda, for, you know, four or five days and the sun is going to be out, uh, like, you know, Jim and you and I were saying last winter, you know, maybe wrap these uh, trunks uh, with some burlap or something. Or like they said, even put a little, lean a board up against yeah. the trunk of the tree yeah, on that southwest side, you know, mm-hmm. just to keep the sun off of it. And that'll really keep that, that side from getting heating up and expanding and causing those cracks and lesions in there. And I would still do root stimulator on that, compost on that, so we can give it more energy to recover and you know we should be doing that anyway to our plants but uh, yeah i would definitely do the root stimulator and go into the pruning that just threw my mind into somebody was buying hydrangeas the mop head hydrangeas i don't think it was it was one like seaside serenade and she asked soon as she plants it can she prune it And I was like, I know because you're going to prune the blooms off. Yeah. For I mean, next you can year. prune it, but you're going to affect the bloom. Right, exactly. And then she goes, Oh, no wonder my other ones haven't <laughs> been blooming. We hear that all the time. She almost didn't buy that one because we figured it out. Yeah. Shouldn't have told her the right answer. <laughs> we'll be right back after <laughs> these messages. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Glad y'all can join us. 260-5926. If you don't want to be on the air, you can just talk to Philip and he'll take the question down and we can read it off the monitor. Yes, he will. And then you can go to the Facebook, the Mighty 990 Facebook page and shoot us a text right there. And Jan uh, Childers, she texted in this morning when I couldn't get my headphones right. She said, huh, huh? <laughs> I can't hear you. Oh, oh, wait, let me turn my headphone, my headphone volume up. Oh, Jan. She's just making fun of me. You know, she every is. chance she gets anyway. Didn't get to text Jan this week. She's just putting funny stuff on my Facebook page, She's but I can't say it. Love her. <laughs> uh, 260-5926, like Veda said, is the number. Like I said, Mighty 990 Facebook page if you want to shoot us a question. And then later on, if you want to listen to the podcast, uh, kwamradio.com, um, streaming live mm-hmm. all the time, Miss Veda. I, li- I listen to it. <laughs> so I oh, I've remem- got a- remember the time that I had it uh, playing in the garden center, the podcast, <clears throat> and nobody was in there, and I was in the back, and I just heard you talking. You're like, where's and Kenny? I'm like, where is he? Well, I thought he had to work today. What's he doing up here? And, you know, it was the uh, pod, or the, yeah, the podcast, and it was you talking. So perfect. We're not right, I'm telling you. No. And then one other thing I wanted to add before you get to your topic is when you were talking about the heat stress and all, I wanted to stress on (laughs) people to understand if you didn't have a good garden this year, if you're a new gardener, it was tough. So don't give up. You're not kidding. Yeah, it was tough. We've had so many people. And of course, you know, they're again, typically talking about tomatoes, Veda. And just want to know what what possibly could they have done wrong? You know, they <laughs> you know prep the soil and make mm-hmm. sure the pH is up where it needs to be, and plant different tomatoes and everything. And I was like, I was telling people, guys, it's not you; it's mm-hmm. the weather this year. Yeah. Nothing but the weather. 
Now, what I did tell them is there are some varieties of tomatoes that tend to do a little better uh, mm-hmm. in the high temperatures that we have around here. Now, yeah. of course, we've all planted, you know, the better boys and the big boys and the heirlooms. But uh, if you remember, Vade, I think Arkansas Traveler mm-hmm. was one that uh, performs well. You know, yeah. when it gets really hot. In our vicinity, yeah, Arkansas. Uh, yeah. I mean, because you never know what our summer is going to bring. So I would always have at least one or two Arkansas Traveler tomatoes out there. The other celebrity. I would have a couple mm-hmm. celebrity tomatoes out there. And then plant whatever you want, yeah. you know. But have a few of those that you know have a, a good track record when these nighttime temperatures, when it gets above mm-hmm. 70 degrees, it's hard for tomatoes yeah. to pollinate, period. Right. So that that's good, Kevin. <clears throat> and that that's happened a good idea. overnight. So I was telling them, you know, maybe we'll have a little better success next year mm-hmm. uh, if you are sprinkling in a few of these tomatoes that we know tend to do better in extreme high temperatures. Yeah. You so know? Also, I'm thinking the heirloom, uh, the black Cherokee tomato. Is that the right one? Purple Cherokee? Cherokee Black, Purple. Yeah, yeah, Cherokee Purple. It must be a, a good one to grow in this area, too. I love that one. I think it's so delicious. But that's the one I'm seeing the most of mm-hmm. is the Cherokee Purple. As far where as you the never, go. Yeah, where you, <laughs> you know, you never saw that. I don't know. Are you going to... Are we going to, I'm wondering, grow the pink celery and all the co- different colors of vegetables? Wouldn't that be such a will. pretty vegetable garden? Oh, it's kind of like the Rainbow. Swiss chard in the fall, you know? Yeah. You got to yeah. have Swiss chard bright lights where the stalks are all different colors. Mm-hmm. In fact, it looks so pretty, you don't even want to cut the thing down and eat it. Right. You know? I think that's why we're all using it for an ornamental now. And they think ornamental cabbage and kale. Yeah, you know the ornamental the ornamental red mustard. Yeah, I forget about that. And then of course the Swiss chard. Mm-hmm. I mean, so we've got. And then there's, um, we've got dianthus coming along, snapdragons. You know, some dusty Miller. Mm-hmm. These are all things you can use with your pansies, or even in replace. Exactly. You just can't. There's nothing to replace <laughs> a pansy, actually. So those are, and we'll have those this fall. Now, I was telling you about my crepe myrtles, where when the Japanese beetles came out this year, they mm-hmm. ate every bloom off of my crepe myrtles. I mean, I'm not I'm talking about every bloom. Not, I'm serious. Not one bloom left, okay? Maybe that's why the crepe myrtles around town don't look like they bloomed full enough. Well, I'm telling you. But the good news mm-hmm. is I was out there cutting the grass, doing my chores, you know, <laughs> and um, my crepe myrtles are starting to bloom again. Now, they're not going to be massive blooms mm-hmm. like they would be if, you know, if they didn't all yeah. had gotten eaten off before. But I've got bloom on them again, okay? Good, good. Yeah. So I'm out there watering uh, these crepe myrtles, and I'm seeing the little crepe myrtle bark scale mm-hmm. on the trunks. But it's just starting. It's not, let's say, 20 scale per crepe myrtle, okay? Okay, yeah. So I've got my water hose there, so I put it on jet, and I'm... <laughs> I am blasting the trunks of my trees, and I'm washing these things off. I'm telling you. Now, do I know that's going to really take care of my scale problem? Probably not. Mm -hmm. Uh, Am I going to drench my trees uh, next spring? Absolutely I am. You know, the tree Mm -hmm. and shrub insect drench that you just pour around the trunk of the tree. But for now, Veda, I mean, I'm just keeping my trunks clean because I'm going out there once or twice a week and putting some water on them. I'm just, I'm telling you, I am blasting the trunks of my trees. And it is washing this young scale. Notice I said yeah. young scale 
right mm-hmm. off. So then I'll go back out there and kind of look at the trunks. And I mean, and I don't see any evidence now of any scale on there. But I'm thinking, okay, here they come. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. so I know what I I know what I got to do. Uh, yeah. to, you know, to protect my crate murders from crate murder bark scale. Yeah. So you reduced the population I most doing definitely that. did. Yeah, and that's always a benefit. You know, I would <clears throat> recompost. Yeah, I mean, they're... You know, I don't know... Crate myrtles are so durable. Well, they are, and they're very healthy. But mm-hmm. in this case, you know, a lot of times we say insects and disease attack weak or weaker plants, okay? Right. Well, when it comes to crate myrtle bark scale... They're going to potentially attack any crepe myrtle, mm-hmm. whether it's completely healthy or whether it's on its last leg. Yeah. And I see it more in a little bit more shaded conditions and definitely really crowded conditions, too. Yeah, and these are, I mean, they're not in the perfect spot. Mm-hmm. I mean, they are very... Yeah, but yours isn't all black and covered with it. The ones that I see just yeah. really bad. Oh, yeah. Or, yeah. I mean, yeah. and these, but these are against, a, you know, a wooden fence, Veda, and, you know, they get it, you know, at three-fourths of a day of sun, mm-hmm. and they're spaced out, so they get decent air circulation, except on the back side of yeah. them that's against the uh, the fence there. But, I mean, they're 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 fine where they are. Mm-hmm. It's nice. So I can't blame it on the location. Yeah, it doesn't sound like uh, it. You know, they're, yeah. they're being hydrated, uh, you know, and, and so they're healthy, other than, you know, what the Japanese beetles did to the blooms, and now I'm seeing the scale on there. But it makes you think, like I said, most shrubs that are weak or anemic, they are more susceptible to insects and disease. No doubt about it, okay? Mm -hmm. For example, azaleas that get way too much sun, you're probably going to get lace bug on them. Yeah. But in this case, I think crepe myrtle bark scale is is just an insect of opportunity. If there's a crepe myrtle out there, you can get this problem. Man, okay, so they used to not wear glasses. But, of course, you know, now I need to... I still can't see the insects proper enough mm. than I could without, and the right strength. Man, I think I'm going to also get a magnifying glass, sure. especially because I want to tell the difference between the predators on the crepe myrtle bark scale yeah. and the scale. Well, and the big thing, and that's what throws a lot of people off. I mean, crepe myrtle bark scale is just like a little white bump. That's on the trunk. Mm-hmm. Now, the mealybug destroyer, which is the little pair uh, or the little beneficial insect that eats crepe myrtle bark scale, okay? <laughs> yeah. It is a little fuzzy little thing that actually climbs up and down the trunk mm-hmm. of your crepe myrtle. And a lot of people see those and they freak out. Yeah. Because every bug's a bad bug at this point, right? But they're not. They're actually a beneficial insect. But, but, but to me, the biggest thing is the, the mealybug destroyer, the good bug, it's actually moving around. Yeah. Where that crate myrtle bark scale, it is stuck on there like yeah. a barnacle. Yeah, you know? so they're moving around looking for another scale. So far, though, I don't think I ever see enough beneficials to take take care of all the crate myrtle bark scale. But at the same time, if we're doing the drench and all, yeah. Man, I'm wondering if that would kill the beneficials, but you just got to do what you got to do. I don't think so, Veda, because we're using this product right then. We're pouring it in the soil, Mm -hmm. and the tissue is being absorbed. I mean, the roots are going to absorb the product, and it's getting moved through the crepe myrtle from the inside out. So, no, I mean, it's usually, you know, we got to be a little more careful with the contact killers that we're spraying Mm -hmm. uh, if we're not wanting to kill a lot of the beneficials out there. I guess I'm thinking of it as how they say don't let— 
a uh, dog eat a rat that's been poisoned mm-hmm. because then the dog can absorb some of that. I wonder if that's accurate because you know how you just hear things in passing but never <clears throat> you know research it. So well, but I, let me say this also. The mealybug destroyer is typically after the scale when they're in a very young stage, not mm-hmm. after they've created a like a shell over their body. Yeah, okay. okay. And mm-hmm. you and I are not even going to know that we have those scale out there because yeah. they're so small. True, that is you true. You know, so that but then when we see them when they get a little older and they attach themselves to the tissue and then form that shell over them, that's when we see them. So and the that's drench what I was, and that's what I was seeing the other night. So you're the drench you're speaking of, uh there's it comes in a number of names, but but you want to make sure you're getting the right drench. So what is the active ingredient in this one we need to use? Yeah, it's the metachlorbid. The metachlorbid. Uh, yeah, yeah, and it is, you know, tree and shrub drench, uh you know, fertilome is the one that we carry and there's other brands out there. But the beauty of it is you don't spray anything at all. You're just mm-hmm. mixing and pouring and one application will last at least a year. Uh, sometimes up to two years. Right. And these, uh, knock on wood, these have never been drenched. I never had to do it because I haven't seen any scale out right. there. So that's good you were waiting mm. to see something instead of just doing it. Yeah, we have the same drench. It's a good drench. And so. it works, you know, but, mm-hmm. you know, I don't think crepe myrtle bark scale is as bad as it was, Veda, if you remember. When yeah. it first came on the, on, on the scene on here. On the market. <laughs> people were out there with chainsaws cutting their crepe myrtles I down. They were like, I'm getting rid of this can't stuff. do it. But uh, this is an easy way to treat it. And I'm using, like I said, right now, because I'm, I'm not going to drench until spring. So I'm just using my water hose and just blasting those things off. I like it. Almost. That's natural. All right. We're going to head to a break. We'd love y'all to give us a call. Uh, post some text on our Facebook Live. Otherwise. We'll just keep talking, yes, which will. is totally cool with me. We'll see you in a few. <laughs> Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. And um, let's see. So it, our topic has been insects this morning. Mm-hmm. You had another one that's come up. It's this time of year for... Tent caterpillars, or no, it was the other the, the webworms. Fall, the fall, the nasty old fall webworms. I had a gentleman call me. Are they called nasty old fall yeah. webworms if in you the book? Nasty old yeah. fall you, webworms would come up. Gotcha. Okay. So, but I had a gentleman call me, Veda, <laughs> and he said, Kenny, I got spiders in my, my pecan tree. And I said, What do you mean? And he said, Well, I've got these <laughs> webs everywhere at the tips of the limbs in my pecan tree. And I said, Well, I mean, you wish it was spiders. <laughs> yeah. yeah, because spiders right. are actually really good, okay, because <laughs> yeah. they eat bugs. Mm-hmm. These are probably the fall wellworms that get up there. It's, it's actually a caterpillar, and it forms a big web around mm-hmm. themselves because the web is there for protection. You know, the birds can't get to them. And, uh, uh, we so, can't get to no, them? No, not hardly. It's so, a tough web. But like I told this gentleman, uh, super nice guy, I said, if the tree is small enough, then, of course, you can go out there and spray with BT or spinosad, permethrin, any of those. He's got to open the web some, right? Yeah, I mean, ideally you do. Mm -hmm. Uh, But if it's a small enough tree, you can spray the whole tree down because they do come out at night out of that web uh, to feed. (laughs) And then during the day, they go whoop right back in that web for protection. But so I was like I was telling this gentleman, if if the tree is small enough, uh, you know, if you wanted to use something completely organic, spinosad, a great product, BT, mm-hmm. as you know, great product for caterpillars, uh, and then or something synthetic like a permethrin-type product. 
But the key, like I said, is, is it needs to be small enough to where you can actually spray the tree itself. Well, in this case, the tree was 60 feet tall, okay? <laughs> Yeah. And there's just no way you can spray a tree that massive, that big. Uh, but like I told him, I said, the good news is on a tree that large, uh, yeah, I mean, it doesn't look good up there, Veda, with all the webbing and so forth, but it's not going to kill your tree. When I see it, it just takes me back to um, the, you know, just growing up in the country and lots of trees and you see them up there and oh, they get going, hickories well, you and know, everything that else, means right? falls <laughs> coming along. So uh, that's how I see them is that way because our tree, the trees never died. I, so I'm like, well, these insects must not be a bad thing. But when I see them, I'm thinking falls on the way. Um, and then remember when it used to be, because a lot of, we get such more education on what's going mm-hmm. on with insects. We used to be where we're getting these trombone sprayers and these ladders and trying to put holes in the webs and spray in the webs mm-hmm. and all of that. Mm-hmm. And now it's just like, well, just leave them. But the f- crazy story is, and I know you know this, but one year there was a huge breakout of like um, fall web worms yeah. and tent caterpillars and yeah. all of that. So they did some research on why, because we wonder in the years, why did we have such a population of this year and not last year? You know, there's always an insect of the year. Yeah, exactly. So what was happening is since the invention of the bug spray to kill all the wasps, well, the wasps are the predators of caterpillars, certain caterpillars, but, and then certain kind of wasps. So with this bug spray, they were killing all the wasps, which Mm -hmm. meant the wasp population went down, which allowed the tent caterpillar. Mm-hmm. Just the chain the, effect. Yeah. The domino effect. Right. To, to you know, become more. Well, and if you, that's why I mentioned spinosad and BT. Uh, if you spray those two products, which are completely organic and they do a, a great job on caterpillars, uh, they're very benign to beneficials. You yeah. know, it's not scorched earth where you're killing Every right. little moving thing out there uh, with acephate and some mm-hmm. of these other products, which I, you know, I, I like the products and I like to be more of a target spray. But if you're using BT, Spinosad, uh, even Neem to some extent, you, you're, you're being a lot more beneficial or you've been a lot more kind, if you will, mm-hmm. to the, the beneficials out there doing the job right. for you. Yep. We're all trying. But, but these caterpillars, Veda, they're just really, they're just eating the foliage, mm-hmm. um, you know, off of the tree. Now, a small tree that was loaded with these webworms, yeah, I mean, they could indirectly really hurt the tree yeah. uh, because if they ate so much of the foliage away, then you got a problem. But on a massive tree like this, like I was telling the gentleman, I said, you know, I get it. You know, you want to really protect these trees because he gets pecans off of them also. And I know it's unsightly. I get mm-hmm. that also. I said, but honestly, unless you have someone like an arborist come out there, which I would not in this case, uh, right. uh, because it's just not going yeah. to really affect this massive tree. It's just not mm-hmm. going to. Right. So, y'all, when you see all the spider webs and things like that, are the web worms? I well, mean, they don't really look like spider webs because they're so dense. Yeah, but, but I mean, honestly, feel like but it. he was driving up his drive and he, he he just noticed them. Yeah, and he's like, "Man, I've got spiders." everywhere and I said no no those are not spiders I bet there. that feels bizarre thinking it's yeah. spiders and you're going to be inundated with spiders so <laughs> so the bottom line is if the tree is small enough yes spray with BT spinosad one of those type products if the tree is massive 
it's not going to be a whole lot to worry mm-hmm. about, quite honestly. They're not yeah. going to really damage that tree. True. Uh, yeah. The, and then, man, the most issues we've had that, well, not the, is this heat stress that we've had. It's been hard for things to establish, hard for things to grow, which then can give you insect or even fungal problems, too, uh, <clears throat> because of the heat stress. And then some some things aren't even affected, like crepe myrtles, really. I mean, yeah. they just hang on. I, th- I have seen, every once in a while, I'll see one that's kind of wilted. But it's more of a newer one where I guess the roots have not established as far out. But no matter what, it seems like crepe myrtles just do it. They just make it. Well, that's why we love them. Mm-hmm. They, it's, yeah. it's a bulletproof right. plant. It can take all the abuse in the world. Yeah. And Jan Farmer texted in. She said, good good to know that the uh, wellworms are not going to kill the tree, so she's not going to get on the top rung of the ladder anymore. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know, we'll do anything if we have to to get something sprayed, right? Get the 30-foot ladder out there, climb to the very top, hang on the limb with one hand, yeah. one foot on the ladder, and you're trying to spray with <laughs> right. the other arm, oh right? Oh, my gosh. I just don't see how we fall, <laughs> yeah. you know. And that's after you went shopping and bought all the equipment you needed, and then you were up spraying, and the spray could be blowing back on you and we're trying to kill yeah. something doesn't need to and be. then she asked does the uh the webworm turn into a moth or a butterfly no it's a moth it's just an mm-hmm. indescript moth it's nothing beautiful out there whatsoever yeah. and i'm not saying not all of god's creatures are not beautiful don't mm-hmm. get me wrong but no it's just moth. Oh. you know it's not a beautiful butterfly you know what i got stuck on looking at it was so cool but all these little insects like praying mantis and slugs and maggots and they have got them um magnified as far as you can oh i don't know if i wanted to have seen that stuff you can't unsee it now it's so amazing and if we could see him, we would be running, yeah, well, running yeah. for. If you could see him, like under, like a, yeah, a, a uh, lot of magnification, if you will. It was so interesting. So all I can think of is, okay, that's magnified. The teeth aren't that big, surely not. Those eyes that look like they're popping out of yeah. their head looks that way. You know, when Veda's going home at night, double bolting the door, locking the door <laughs> to her bedroom, pulling all the shades. She's a, she's yeah. scared to death now because she's seen these magnified pictures right. of these bugs. Shaking off the clothes and all. <laughs> but that that's all the alien movies are. If somebody was smart enough to be, build big ones that look like yeah. the small ones. Only magnified. Knew, right? Yes, exactly. We all hang on for a little bit because we're going to be back for our second hour and call us 260-5926. The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning and welcome back to the second hour of Mid-South Gardening. I'm Veda with Palladio Gardens in Memphis. Yes, she is. And I'm Kenneth Mabry with Danwest Garden Centers. Veda, good morning to you good once morning. again. I think it's going to be a pretty nice day today. we got fall coming before too yes, long. Yes, I love it. I'm excited and I'm ready. Of course, every season I'm excited for. We say that every year. We are. Yeah, that's you know, why we're gardeners. And that's one of the beauties of living here in the Mid-South. Mm-hmm. I mean, we... <laughs> As brutal as some of them are, we do have somewhat different seasons, you know? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, that's one of the things where, like, 
10 years or so. I was thinking of moving to Florida with my son and granddaughter and all. Enjoy those balmy 86-degree days yeah. every day of the year for the rest of right. your life? But I don't think I so. I just don't know if I can give the seasons up. And, of course, now I can to be with family <clears throat> and all that. You know, I want to be around. But that will be one thing missed. And then I was like, okay, well, mm-hmm. let's have a winter cabin, a summer place. Oh, yeah. So I can get the winter. With extra, could, with extra bedrooms for friends, right? Yeah, right. Because when I did the Christmas down there uh, in Florida, I felt like I was pretending it yeah. was Christmas, and I felt like I was in the summer pretending like it Christmas was Christmas. on the beach. So I'm just, I'm like, okay, just remember this is different experience, but it was tough. <laughs> but if we go through a few more winters like we did last year and a few more summers like we did this year, Hmm. Well, just may as well be. <laughs> Sounded pretty good. Yeah, we need to start building that beach. But if you want to give us a call this morning, guys, it's easy, 260-5926. Or you can shoot us a text like like just like Louise did. Um, here, let me find it, Miss Vader. Louise Taylor uh, shot us a text on the Mighty 990 Facebook page. She said, good morning. From Oakland, what a busy summer. I agree with that. I've been reading that sulfur is beneficial with chiggers, and farmers use it with animals, Right. What are the benefits and concerns in using sulfur in the garden and landscape, or are there any concerns? Mm-hmm. Uh, great question, because, yeah, we've all known that, you know, if you go out to the blackberry patch, uh, patch <laughs> you better have some sulfur on you, or you're going to get eaten up by chiggers, right? Uh, typically, when we're selling sulfur, um, Yes. One thing you can do is buy a granulated sulfur and put it around your plants, and it will definitely acidify the soil. It brings the pH down. Mm-hmm. Um, a dusting sulfur veda is what a lot of people use as a organic slash insecticide slash fungicide. Okay? <laughs> yeah. Because it controls insects and it controls diseases. And the only concern I would ever have with either a wettable sulfur that you dilute and spray or a dusting sulfur that you actually dust your plants with, is uh, you got to be a little careful about the burn. You know, if you use it when it's really hot mm-hmm. and the plants have not been hydrated, then you could get a little burn from it. Uh, but other than that, no, that no would reason. be my only concerns, other than, yeah. than dropping the pH or lowering the pH if you didn't want to mm-hmm. lower the pH. And there's still also, if, if you're... I can't see any reason to be concerned over using sulfur. No, there's but none. If, yeah, but if you have diatomaceous earth around, that mm-hmm. works as well. And maybe change it up, too. Yeah, and, and the only difference really between those two, diatomaceous earth, as you know, is a just diatoms that kill insects. It's mm-hmm. just a white powder that kills insects. But, like, the idea I love about the sulfur is that not only does it kill insects, it also controls diseases. That's a good point. You know, yeah. so it actually yeah. does both. But as far as uh, the text, Louise, no, ma'am. Other than lowering the pH, that's the only thing you'd need to be a little careful with. For example, if you were dusting boxwoods, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, yeah, you know, boxwoods like that soil more alkaline. Yeah. So you wouldn't want to constantly use sulfur around your boxwoods because eventually you're going to drop the pH around them. Yeah. You know? well, you know, y'all, you can get small pH testers because I know you carry them, I carry them, and and they're going to test the pH as not like accurately as you would send it to a lab, but accurately enough to know if you're too high on sulfur or too low or or whatever it may be. So you and they're not expensive at all, or you can come up with your soil and 
um, we can test it for you. I, yeah. I ask people when they're having trouble with their plants oh, yeah. to actually, as you do, get bring a coffee coffee canisel, which I did, and she gave it to me, and I dumped it in the box, and I started smelling it. Yeah. And she looked at me Sour like... Sour soul yeah. is never a good thing. No. She looked at me like, what? And I go, well, when you've got it balanced, <clears throat> it's sweet smelling. It's forestry smelling. And... Um, it actually does. You're it right. Does. It's, it's a sweet smell. It's it a good is. soul. It's it, it is you know when I fall down on my face I just take a big sniff and I can get back up, but she uh, her soil was very I mean it was really good mm. really really good I re- I could smell the sweetness of it but I felt like it, it could use more so, so you think it was really compact and staying way too wet Veda the, the it sour. was for yeah it was for a hydrangea but mm. this one actually smelled good okay, and good. it was it was loose and all of that but you can't tell the pH just by smell though right now there's another <laughs> pH you could tell if <laughs> this is a good point yeah I'm glad you clarified that <laughs> this is just the soil in general because I'm bringing some soil up to you if you can do that yeah. okay I want to see <laughs> right. that. You know, like six point two. Like uh, what on Red No Red Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer yeah. and the the guy he licks his <laughs> finger and sticks it up in the air to see. And, but anyway, that I'm talking more about adding your compost yeah. and root stimulators and liquid fertilizers too. But her soil was really good. But I'm thinking just a little bit more because sometimes minerals are missing. But I talked to her more trying to really figure out what's wrong because the soil's really good. And she goes, well, somebody else planted them and they're not really, you know, in this type of industry. I go, well, you know, that could have happened. That could have been it. Somebody planted them incorrectly. So I draw a picture of because she wanted to know how to draw the next one or want to know how to plant the next one properly so i draw the picture out yeah. and tell her where the root ball is supposed to be and she goes well i did that uh-huh. and i'm going well i thought your landscaper planted um she's like no i did it like that and we i never i needed the shrub actually to be able to get more detail from mm-hmm. it because because you know first we go through the interrogation and I told her it's just got to be the heat stress. Mm-hmm. They were planted early in the spring. Mm-hmm. We weren't watering enough or where we had that wet spring. And then just immediately there was no rain. I had trouble catching up. A lot of people did. Yeah. Well, almost didn't. They've had a lot of tissue that's out there that's burned. Uh, that And some plants that just flat out didn't make it. Uh, and we'll talk about that a little later on the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, is they're just they there just wasn't enough hydration going yeah. on, and we'll talk about that. Of later course, on. in the garden industry, we're like, yeah, yeah, we hate it. In. You know, we hate to see that, but yeah, I mean, they're there's going to be a, get some more. Shrubs. There's going to be a lot of replacement going on uh, this year. Which no, nah, I really don't like that y'all have to do that though. Susan Powell, she just sent a text mm-hmm. in on the uh, Monday Nine Ninety Facebook page. She said, "Good morning, thanks for all the great info. Where has the third musketeer?" been the last mm-hmm. several weeks great question susan you know we do miss jim crowder you know our guru if you will mm-hmm. scientific guru in fact i talked to jim uh i've told you about mm-hmm. a week ago jim uh was diagnosed with some type of cancer he found a little lump that was on his neck uh and one had it checked out and they did a biopsy and they found out that it was cancerous where now uh, he's going through some target radiation and he didn't mind me saying this because mm-hmm. he said i could yeah um, so, yeah, he's uh, going through that as we speak. In fact, he's probably halfway through this process. And um, 
you know, we hope and pray, you know, fingers crossed that Jim is going to be perfectly fine. He's going to be perfectly fine anyway, but we hope he's going to be perfectly fine and completely cancer free. So, you know, as soon as I hear from him, I'll surely let people know. But, um, yeah, we miss Jim, but that's where Jim has been. He's been really just kind of taking care of himself. So So, uh, appreciate the the text, though, Susan. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure a lot of people were wondering where the third musketeer went. Yeah. Well, we're going to. And, and let me say this real okay. quick. Also, Jan texted in and said, mm-hmm. yeah, Veda does snort soil. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jan, you were there with me. That's how you know. But uh, but let me just say this real quick also, Veda. Um, the young lady, uh, Louise, that did text asked the question about the sulfur. So the bottom line was there's no problem at all. Mm-hmm. Using either the dusting sulfur, which can also be a wettable sulfur mm-hmm. uh, that you dilute and spray, or the soil sulfur, which is granulated that you put down dry. There's no problem. And there's really, you know, like I said, the only drawback, period, would be just be careful with the potential of burn and, uh, you know, and just know that it will bring the pH down if using it quite often. Those are the only two things. All right. That sounds good. It's always nice to hear somebody's on the right track. So when we come back, uh, I've got a little information on scars on the trees or damage on the trees. And are you a bona fide redneck? (laughs) We'll find out. We'll be back. 260-5926. Good morning, gardeners, and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. For the trees, uh, when we were talking about splits on the trees and damage on the wood um, on down the line, there is a mixture. And I know y'all probably think it's bizarre, but it really helps because we're not using the um, pruning paint anymore because it just doesn't help anything heal. Well, there is the bark doesn't have you know it's not carrying the nutrients up and down the tree it's just there for protective but underneath the bark right. is where that's where you have the cambium later and so yeah, forth. yeah so that and it takes nutrients from, from the roots yeah so this makes sense too when you have a damaged tree where there's no bark you can mix um manure diatomaceous earth right. and phosphate now, the manure is nutrients, okay. and the diatomaceous earth is insecticide. It is, yeah. And then the soft rock, fate, soft rock phosphate's a mineral. And do you mix that with a little water yeah. and kind of make a putty or a paste? Yes, okay. exactly. And then you, you rub it over that area, so it's repellent insects, and it's helping the tree have some nutrients to heal quicker. And also, if you make the wrong cut and you can see it just blaring, you know, that ah, end. This, uh, this uh, tone yeah. that fresh cut yes. wood look down, exactly. won't it? Exactly. You know, if people don't see that, they don't know that <laughs> it, it could have been a wrong cut because only I know in this. But I didn't mix that paste together because we're not doing the pruning paint again. Right. And just rub that paste on the end of each cut. That's well, funny. Yeah, it's going to help it heal faster. But you don't notice the pruning. Even if you didn't make a wrong prune, it still ha- hides those where you cut <laughs> cut that off. This was on a crepe myrtle. So uh, that's, that's a good mixture to use. It used to be sold as tree goop. Yeah. You know, when I, remember, it, I remember that from years ago. Yeah. You used to talk about that. Yeah. yeah. And then now, I believe it's still made, but This is we your homemade have, tree goop. Yes. We have to do the homemade because we there's just no access to that anymore. 
because us weird people use it, as some people say. <laughs> well, Jan texted again. She said, Veda snorts soil. If you don't talk to your kids about drugs slash soil, who will? <laughs> so maybe you need to quit snorting soil, baby. Man, that's the allergy problem. All right, so what um, – you had this thing about – I think it's mis, misleading about mm-hmm. being a redneck. Yeah, misleading <clears throat> because – Because I think that's what you were telling me just mm-hmm. then over the break was yeah. that's not being redneck at all. That's just kind of growing up in the country. You yeah. Know, some of those – yeah, and I mean, I, I get some of them. There's a whole more more list. Well, we don't have time here. to go through all those, right? And we won't go through all these either. But just to throw, but you said like walking through a creek barefooted. Yeah, um, wading in a creek, walking on a dirt road, a gravel road barefooted, and riding yes. a horse. Yeah, you riding. Know? Oh, shucking corn. Yeah, eating or tasting wild honeysuckle, caught flies in a. Fireflies in a jar, gathered back blackberries, used an outhouse. Um, then, oh, cutting wood. I've done all carried, that. Carried wood. I've done all that. Yeah, but I'm, I laughed when I saw this. I was like, who doesn't carry wood? At least one piece. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I like this one. A raw apple, potato, or turnip off the blade of a pocket knife. My grandfather would cut and give it to you because they tell you how to eat it. Nowadays, somebody just gives you a knife and lets you go. You know, they would dig up a turnip, and it had the dirt and everything all <laughs> over it. And so you had to make sure that you got a bite from the inside of the turnip, not on the yeah. outside skin, or you had sand, grit, <laughs> dirt all in your mouth, right? Oh, that So we've is all so, done that before. It is so true. Eating fried bologna. <laughs> Love yeah. it. Dipped skull or chewing tobacco. Oh, that's as bad for you, Vega. That's but like snorting, I did. That's like snorting I, soil. I did dip skull when we were riding horses in high school. I mean, you had to do it. Not Love very it. long did I do it, but you just had to. Or applied it to a bee sting. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Slept in a tent, been attacked by a rooster. <laughs> I missed that one. Um, uh, waited barefoot, shut corn, rode in the back of a pickup truck. Lord, that's all we used yeah, to do. Nobody can say that now. Because, you know, it's illegal. So to me, that's not, see, that's a misnomer, though. That's not being, like you said, going to the break. Mm -hmm. You know you're a redneck when. No, you just know that you've lived in an urban setting at some point or been in an urban setting at some point. Well, I live, I'm a bona fide redneck, but then there's a pretty much redneck and there's a little redneck, a little bit. Own a gun, shot a gun, squirrel hunting, fishing, yeah. slingshot. Uh, this one was uh, amazing, wild, cl- gathering wild ginseng. Mm-mm. I mean, I didn't even know anything about you could do that later. And the other one, eating frog legs. Uh, I love Have it. you eaten frog legs? Oh, because absolutely. I haven't. Oh, you but have. I really haven't. Tastes like chicken. I've eaten snake <clears throat> and, I mean, I, I ate squid. When I lived in Italy, they even had horse meat. Uh, see, I'm, pa- I'm passing, passing, Ooh, passing on all three of those. That fried squid was absolutely good. You would get it in the fresh air market. You'd go to one of the booths. The squid was fried, and it would stick on a stick like a corn dog. Uh-uh, you didn't care. see people walking around with corn. Okay, when I was in Italy, it was 85, 86, so I'm sure a lot of things have changed since then. Yeah. But um, it was a lot of fun. <clears throat> and... Now that we know we're all rednecks, do you know there was nothing on there about gardening? Yeah. 
Nothing. So see the li- or eating greens. Yeah. How can there not be eating greens? Uh, they've been with you all the way. Yeah. So uh, there's such a longer list on that too. All right. I know we got a texture coming up. We'll get to or a caller coming up here in just a second. But some of the other things maybe we're going to talk about this morning at some point. There's a product out there called Sledgehammer, okay? Not Sledgehammer. I know. It makes me want to sing that song. We'll talk about that wonderful product. And there's another product out there that we've talked about before called Percolate, okay? And we're not talking about coffee here, okay? (laughs) Uh, And then I want to talk about, you know, what do we do about those dang slugs and how bad really are they? Well, you should see an up-close picture and and then you'll know. And how much damage (laughs) can they do? And then I've got other things like some weed barriers and some timers, and there's a particular box what I'm going to talk to you about. And even we might even talk about some bat guano before the whole morning's mm, over Delicious. With. But we've only got about five minutes left. Yeah, well, I think we can get this in there. We've got Todd calling from Germantown. Good morning, Todd. You're in the garden. Good morning, Beta. Good morning, Ken. Hey, Good Todd. Morning. Good morning to you, buddy. Hi. I've got uh, two oak trees out front. They're fairly old. And a few years, well, several years ago, they started getting little balls or galls on all the limbs. Yeah. Now they're just covered, and everything's falling out of the tree, like yeah. limbs and everything. Yeah. How, well, do you tr- how do you treat that? Yeah. yeah you, you can. Actually, the galls are formed by an insect, a, a little wasp. A wasp was yeah. that wasp limb. Fixes, yeah. yeah. But the thing is, is... It's not. It doesn't kill the tree, but what's happening is it's there because the tree was... But you know, it you know over time weakening out, and also the wasps seem to like your tree too. But if your tree, <laughs> yeah, because that's a lot. I have seen them that much, but that's a lot. Yeah, I can but, understand. But yeah. people, you can do one or two things, though, Veda, um, Todd. I mean, some people get an arborist out there and they'll inject the tree with mm-hmm. a systemic insecticide. But the same product that we were talking about a while ago, that you use for crepe myrtle bark scale, the tree mm-hmm. and shrub insect drench. Uh, that really helps also. Now, it doesn't keep the wasp from stinging the limb where it forms the gall, mm-hmm. but it does help keep that egg from turning into a larva, mm-hmm. okay? So it, it doesn't completely eliminate gall, but it does help prevent uh, some of the gall. Yeah, because a little bit gone away is yeah. much nicer. Uh, I I think... In this, when it's really populated like that, I might really call an arborist to see if there's another reason going on, you know, limbs falling out and all, and see if there's, yeah, there's another root-related reason or if something is rotting and you're in your tree. You know, there's all kinds of bizarre things like that. They look okay except for those balls. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then I wouldn't worry. Well, but I would still pour the drench around it, though. Yeah, um, The tree and shrub insect drench, Todd, that you just mix and pour right around the trunk of the tree. Uh, Try some of that next spring, early in the spring. Uh, I really think that's going to help you a good bit. Okay, yeah, because the uh, pin oaks now down the street, they don't seem to be affected by it. You know, I've, I've noticed that also. Yeah. It, it's, you know, now any oak can get it, don't get me wrong, but I, I tend to see it in, you know, some types of oaks, Veda, more than other types of oaks. Right. Like, like Todd saying, the pin oaks, forever mm-hmm. see in the pin oaks. I mean, I'm going to have to look that up more detail because we've I've looked that up like years ago, but, you know, things change, scientific things yeah. change, so I want to find like But a, I tell you, though, Todd, it can turn into a mess, though, I'm telling you, because, you know, the galls get bigger oh, sometimes, okay. and then they want to fall out of the tree. It's not good, no. I know. It's just sloppy looking. <laughs> well, anyway. Well, that's um, a good point. <laughs> I have a second question, too. We have a really nice green 
Jap maple that's been hit by different limbs and broken and fixed, but it's all, it looks beautiful because it's about 20 years old now, mm. and it's about mm, eight feet tall, and it's got a big elbow, and right where the elbow when it turns and makes an attractive look to the trunk, a limb, well, not a limb, yeah, a limb had rotted and fallen out and left a hole about a half inch wide. Okay. And about that deep. Now, so far, nothing's happened to it or anything, but can I fill that with something to keep it a weather out? Yes, yes, there's a number of things we can do. We'll Um, talk about it, I mean, because I know we got to go to a hard break here, Vanny, in about a minute, but... uh, and so, Todd, if we have to drop you, you know, I apologize. But well, yeah. just hang on for a second. We'll get back. To but you yeah, but he's talking break. about the, the cavity, Veda. Mm-hmm. You know, even you know they say that a cavity will callus, but I've always said I don't like a cavity that holds water. Yeah, right. Um, right. Yeah, it's too big to. Yeah, call. and a yeah. lot of people would just get the. Well, we'll talk about yeah. it, Veda. Right. We got lots of ideas. So you hang on, Todd, for a minute. And we'll hit you up after this break and call us two six zero five nine two six. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Uh, stream us radio or mighty, what is it? Stream yes. us on. KWMRadio.com and yeah. uh, go to the Mighty 990 Facebook page and shoot us a text right there. Or you can give us a call at 260-5926 like Mr. Todd in Germantown yes. did. Okay, Todd. Well, we Hello. So, appreciate you hanging on, Todd. Yeah. <laughs> What to fill? How how big is the hole? Like the cavity in yeah. the tree? About a half inch. Yeah, the cavity is about a half inch, maybe a little bigger. Yeah, yeah. I definitely well, need to and do. It's deep though. That's, that's, it, yeah, it, it's got a bottom to it, but it, yeah. it, it, isn't that amazing? How how the limb can fall and you get one little hole in I your know, just where you don't want it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and you know the biggest bush. I mean, it's a beautiful, beautiful uh, tree. Well, we're yeah, gonna save that tree. Out. Yeah, yeah, and you know the 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 enemy here, Todd, is is moisture. You know, we always say you really don't want a cavity in any tree that's going to hold water because eventually you're going to start getting a rot. So okay. what some people do um, is they'll get that just foam in a can, if you will, uh, and you know when the cavity is dry, you can spray that foam in there uh, and let it kind of billow out and just kind of shave it down, you know, level with your limb. And that then foam would be what. It's just foam in a can. You know, if you spray that stuff in a cavity, okay, oh, it's kind of kind of foam. Yeah, it's kind of like insulation in a can, if you will. Oh, yeah, they sure. yeah they yeah. use it on homes yeah. and and stuff it, like it would just kind of kind of billow out at the top, and then once it yeah. dries, you can just get a little knife and just kind of. Uh, Could it be waterproof, so you wouldn't you wouldn't want water to just be sucked into it. Then. Well, but you're right. I mean, so you can feel the cavity, but then you have to seal the top of the. Uh, ah, okay. Yeah, because you just want to try to make it as waterproof as possible. And whether you're sealing the top with, you know, Elmer's wood glue, whether it's orange shellac, you know, anything like that, just to seal that top back up. Uh, and then if you feel it, though, you're also, you know, you're you're not making it just a haven for insects and other things just to get in there. So, uh, yeah, try to, try to clean it, uh, fill it, and seal the top, uh, Todd, and I think you'll be perfectly fine, honestly, buddy. Okay. Can I add one question? Absolutely. Sure. Okay. Uh, I my wife loves oak hydrangeas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm a hosta man. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Like oak hydrangeas. <laughs> we have a shady backyard. Okay. Uh, they they really growing well in the backyard. Yeah. We pretty much take care of them. Yeah. And they're growing huge and they're overlapping a little 
walkway we built, so yeah. you can't even walk down the walk now. Can I? I know I can trim it. What's the best time to trim it? Right after Should they bloom, um, Todd. I mean, you're right. I mean, it's not going to hurt at all to go in there and especially do some select pruning to get it off the walkway. Yeah. But oak leaves are kind of like the old mop heads. You know, they'll bloom next year off of this year's growth. So if you go in there and cut them back too late, you know, you're going to affect the bloom for next year. So it's but, too late for now. Yes, it is. But, I mean, at some point, you've got to pull the trigger. Now, if right. you do it now, you're going to affect the bloom for next year. Or you leave them alone. As soon as they're through blooming next year, get in there and, and cut them back. Great. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much for your stuff. Uh, I wrote in this little thing. I think you're all in an oasis among the desert of... of uh, <laughs> politics and sports and advertisements yeah, thank you thank uh, we you appreciate, like to hear that we appreciate all the time it's thank you really thank you buddy appreciate all it right. todd have a great weekend bud same to you yes Bye. sir so yeah veda cavities uh we talked about it a couple of weeks ago i mean some cavities are just not really anything to worry about some of them are fairly large but there again, I just don't like any cavity that's mm-hmm. going to hold water. That's, right. that's the biggest thing. True. And even like in the trees, you could have big cavities at the base and all that. They uh, fill it with that blow mold is, I guess, the, yeah. the that's not the right word know, for it's it. It's just a foam in a can. But yeah. You can get it like at hardware stores, yeah. things like that, because it's utilized. It's even utilized for water gardens. Mm-hmm. You can get the black kind and sometimes when you the leaks are there. Oh, and like you the flex seal or something. Or yeah, whatever. but it's that the other foam, the spray foam. But also, um, they the, the mm-hmm. uh, most, you know, they well, two things. Most of these big trees have some type of cavity somewhere in them. Okay, even if we can't even see them. But back in the day, can I say that? Yeah, back like in the, the day, day. Um, people would use sacrete. And if yeah. you read about that, <laughs> that is a big no-no. They do not want you using concrete, sacrete, or anything in these, in these cavities, especially these bigger cavities. Because like they were saying is a tree is always in movement. You know, yeah. it, when the wind blows, the, the tree moves, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. The limbs move, the trunks sway a little yeah, bit. Because we know the top does, but we don't know that we don't think yeah. about the trunk. Well, but the, the tissue mm-hmm. is still being stretched yeah. and moved around. Where with concrete is so rigid, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, and they they just do not want you using a rigid concrete as a cavity filler in a living organism that actually moves, okay? And plus, you know, the concrete, it never really adheres to the side of the tissue in the cavity. Mm -hmm. You know, so you've got this big chunk, you know, concrete in there, but it really, it's not doing anything beneficial for you. Because they're thinking the chunk is filling it and helping it become stronger. But it's really not. Well, I do remember it could have been like, 71 or so lightning struck a big tree at my uh, grandfather's house and he was like i've just been wondering wondering what to do and you mean besides go ahead and cut the tree down yeah it wasn't horrible Mm -hmm. and it's a big oak tree Mm -hmm. and he decided oh concrete would be a good thing people used to use it exactly so the tree i mean it that was in 71. The tree lasted all the way up to like 
2000s or something, mm-hmm. but it was the first tree to come down when, when you know, trees have been there a long time, the property's not maintained anymore, but it was the first tree that, mm-hmm. that fell. So it possibly did shorten the life and we just got like, because it wasn't a huge cavity, it was just a strike yeah. that had an open yeah. wound down about four feet or so. Yeah, so keep that in mind. All right, guys, I promise you I talked to you about a product that would actually kill nutgrass beta. And, you know, there are quite a few different products out there. There's Image and then there's Fertilome, you know, Nutsedge mm-hmm. Killer and, you know, so many other different products. But I'm going to tell you, uh, this product called Sedge Hammer Plus. It's actually a, a powder that you mix with water. Okay? Mm-hmm. Easy. And you take this solution and you go out there and you spot treat uh, the sprigs of nutgrass. And you can do it in your lawn. You can do it in your uh, your woody ornamental beds. I mean, so just used as a spot treat only, okay? But I'm going to tell you, the, the people that I've talked to that have used it, mm-hmm. I mean, they say this stuff, this is the stuff that will get rid of nutgrass. More so than image. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, now, you know, I've never used image and I've never used mm-hmm. sedge hammer. I've never used either one of them. Yeah. I've sold a lot of both of them for people that have nutgrass and other uh, problems. The beauty of image, it kills a lot of other types of weeds, yeah, broadleaf weeds and yeah. some grassy type weeds. But I'm talking about if you're just just nutgrass, and I'm starting mm-hmm. to see a little bit in my backyard where the water kind of goes down and yeah. kind of sets there for a minute before it mm-hmm. actually drains away, Veda. Uh, I think I'm going to get some nutsedge. And uh, they say usually the kill is within 10 to 14 days. Uh, which yeah. is not fast enough for me, but, yep. but, but that'd be fine. So you go out there, like I said, and you spot treat. Uh, and one package goes into a gallon of water. Like I said, it's a powder. It comes in its own little packet. You just drop it down into a gallon of water, and that will cover about 1,000 square feet, and it's rain fast after four hours of application. So I just want people to be aware, whether it's uh, purple or yellow nutgrass, even Kalinga, you know, which is in that nutgrass family, that you see typically in areas that stay probably a little too wet. Don't later. use fancy words. Like Kalinga. <laughs> you know that Kalinga grass? <laughs> it's like a short dwarf yeah. nut grass is okay. what it is. And it smells horrible. <laughs> it's very pungent when you yeah, when you yes, tear into yes. it. Um, so, yes. Now, once I kill the nut grass, and thank goodness I don't have a lot of it, but I know what can happen with nut grass. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I'm going to go out there with a little backpack sprayer and just spot treat every one of them with the sedge hammer. Uh, but there again, I know that areas that stay a little too wet typically are more prone yeah. to getting nutgrass. Soil that's becoming compact. Mm-hmm. Low in nutrients. Yeah. Thank you. You know, yeah. so if, if not only am I going to kill the nutgrass, Veda, I want to also make it less conducive uh-huh. for that nutgrass to come back. Right. Are you going to be able to change the water flow? I can definitely do some aeration. I can probably apply a little sand in there to kind of Mm -hmm. bring the level up a little bit to at least diffuse the water where it's not just sitting in that one spot. So, I mean, so there's some things that I can kind of tweak, if you Mm -hmm. will. But uh, I just want people to write this one down. Sedge Hammer Plus, the people that I've talked to, and and then if you do the research and read about it, this stuff is the real deal when it comes to nutgrass. And I'm telling you, nutgrass to me is kind of like violets. <laughs> I mean, there, it's just one of those where people throw their hands up and go, I'm not even going to try because I can't kill it. Right. Yes, <clears throat> exactly. And, you know, you could add humic acid that works quickly. And humates is some of the things that's lower in that area. Great. And uh, the other one <clears throat> was what? You know, I'm thinking if you 
drilled some holes down in the soil and filled it with that permatill and lighten. If you can get permatill, it's, it's just nowhere to be found right now. Yeah, I do have some enlightened still yeah. available. Which is like but a. But then after that, it's I don't just know. like a little bitty rock yeah. that you're putting down in these holes mm-hmm. later to improve the drainage. Yeah. But let me say this also. When I said sedge hammer, I said sedge hammer plus. And the okay. reason I said sedge hammer plus is this is the sedge hammer that's got the uh, the surfactant added to it. Okay. So you don't need to add anything to it other than water. And oh, just take yeah. that solution, like I said, and go out there and spot treat that nut grass. Good deal. When you said surfactant, that reminded me another um, thing that the lady with the hydrangeas couldn't get them. You know, we went through everything trying to figure out what was wrong. Well, she actually added a <clears throat> detergent mm-hmm. type um and then water to the mixture and sprayed them down with that detergent mixture. I'm like, I think she burned them like that. Well, and David, hang on. But a lot of times they say if you mix a liquid soap with mm-hmm. water and you spray your shrubs, and you see that all the time on the Internet, it can, re- it can take away that cuticle, yeah. that protective coating data that's on the leaves. Exactly. And if you take that away, then that thing is going to burn every day, all day. Yeah. You every, know? Yeah. So that could have been part of it, too. All right. We're going to head to a break. And, David, you hang on. 260-5926. <laughs> Gardeners and welcome back to Mid South Gardening. You can give us a welcome call two six zero five nine two six two six zero five nine two six. I know we got David on the phone, mm-hmm. but if you want to shoot us a text on the Mighty Nine Ninety Facebook page, Miss Fade, and if you want to listen to the podcast later on, KWMRadio.com. Okie dokie, David. What's your question today? Yeah. Good morning. Hey, good morning. Dave. Good morning to you, buddy. How y'all doing? Well, you know, like I told a guy the other day, if we made it through the heat of this summer, I think we can make it through anything. Honestly, David, I'm serious. I mean yeah. that. Good yeah. Lord. Yeah. I agree. It was rough, wasn't it? Golly. It was really rough. And, you know, and like I, was... I told, like I told Veda this morning, you know, we made it through the 108, the 110, and even at 10 o'clock at night, 100 degree temperatures, right? <laughs> yeah. So I'm thinking, okay, I can make it through anything. Well, just yesterday, the high was only like 93 degrees. I thought I was going to die uh-huh. yesterday. <laughs> you know, what is going on with me, man? Yeah, well, I tell you what, then on top of that, I got my LB, L, MLG and W bill, mm. and I oh. really had a heart attack. Man, that's, <laughs> you know, know. and, and yes. everybody in Shelby oh, County man. that you talk to, David, everybody, their bills have mm-hmm. never ever nope. been as high as nope. they were you know last month i agree with you i know it's like turn off a couple of lights uh make it warmer in the house so you can use more water outside oh my god <laughs> it was it was horrible yeah so hopefully we're past all of that david hopefully so i'm a september baby so i'm looking forward to there tomorrow. you go yeah, buddy heck yeah <laughs> well before i get to my pre-emergent i just want to give you an update today i'm going to be taking out my real more Oh. Um, did it did it last week as well, but I, I used my electric mower first, and then came back with my real mower. And for yeah. people that don't know you, David, and why I admire you so <laughs> much, is Dave is a gentleman that has what they call a real mower, and a real mower is like the old fashioned mower that you push. That's got the blades that turn. Okay, so it's all manual labor. But they always say, Dave, and I've always heard this, and I've never done it myself. I've never used one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've done it for play before, but I've never actually <laughs> used an own one. The whole three feet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but they say 
the yard actually looks a little different uh-huh. when you when you mow your lawn with a real mower over a you know a gasoline mm-hmm. powered mower. So my hat's off to you, David. Well, well thank you. Um, the only other, the yard is good. Mows are are being controlled pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing issue I have is that, and, and this is a lead into the pre-emergent. Yes, sir. Only issue I have is that um, I like to look at the little—I think they call them brown birds, whatever. Yeah. Eating in my yard, yeah. And I've been giving them water and putting down some wheat and stuff like this. Yeah. And I went—I went outside one day, guys, and I said, "Boy, that's a bigger bird than usual." <laughs> and, <laughs> and it ends up being a hawk. Oh. And they my brown, brown birds. Well, I think I, this is the first morning I've seen them in a, in a month or so. Oh, so. yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, maybe wow. they'll leave the birds alone and go for the moles. Uh, no, there are some hawks out there, and I've seen it happen in my cove, and they will flat out eat other birds. Oh. I mean, that's what they eat. Yeah. No, I really didn't. Yeah. Oh yeah, but I guess so, duh. <laughs> but Dave, yeah, you're right. If you yeah. if you're feeding birds, and this comes up a lot, uh, you know, if you're feeding birds, can you put down, you know, insecticides, fungicides, herbicides, yeah, and pre-emergents? Right, yeah. mm-hmm. And the question is, I mean, the answer is yes, you can. But mm-hmm. you know, you want to be, you know, responsible, which I know you are. But if you're putting a granulated pre-emergent down, and let's say you're putting dimension down that you can put in your lawn and your beds, okay. You do want to come back and water the product in because that will release the product into the soil where it needs to be anyway. And once that is dry, David, you can feed your birds. You can go back to living your life. You can do anything you want, and it's not going to affect the birds at all. But it does need to get watered in, and it does need to get somewhat dry, usually a couple of hours uh, before you let, ideally, me, you, your cat, your dog, and even the birds back on it. The... um. Now, I can get liquid, correct? You can. There are liquid pre-emergents out there, and the same thing applies to the liquid. You go out there and you spray it. You're actually putting it down with water, and then you just try to keep everybody off until it's dry. Yes, sir. Mm -hmm. Okay, now, the second question about that. Um, Well, you you answered one. I don't like putting chemicals like that because of the birds and things. That's right. um, Can I start in the spring? Um, or um, for, and, and will that be effective enough for me for, and I, and I still have some image, too, that I bought from you guys. Yeah. So. I mean, you're, Dave, great question, because people, when they put a pre-emergent down, better you'll back me up on this, the pre-emergents that you put down in the fall are for the fall and winter weeds that come up. And, David, that's usually like that annual bluegrass, that poana that comes mm-hmm. up. It can be some hen bit, some chickweed. Mm-hmm. So the fall pre-emergent is for one set of type of weeds, and then what you okay. put down in the early spring is mostly for the crabgrass and those type of weeds. So, yes, you can. You don't have to put a fall application down, but there are some weeds that come up in cooler temperatures, mainly that dang poana, that you <laughs> wouldn't be controlling if you didn't put a pre-emergent down in the fall. Good, good stuff. So I just, I just take my weed eater out for that. There you go. You definitely can do that. Yes, sir. Yeah. Okay. Well, guys, you guys are are worth a million bucks, and if I had won that lottery, you would have gotten these. Oh, (laughs) fantastic, Dave. We love you too, buddy. Keep trying that lottery. (laughs) Thanks, David. Always a pleasure. You're welcome. Good to hear from you. Yeah, we hope David keeps buying those tickets. You know, that's right. So I'm wondering, you know, all the holes in the ground people talk about, and is it that size? Is it this size? 
And now I'm looking back and, and thinking, but I'd, I'd read something earlier about wolf spiders do make holes in the ground and mm. their quarter size are a little bigger because they wait for their prey to come to them. Or spider webs and then in they those jump holes. out of there and grab it and drag it back in there. Yes, the other alien movie. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right, right. So maybe because we we've went crawdads will know because they have that tower above you know mud the hole. tower. And I've had yeah. actually a crawdad in my front yard yeah. before after some heavy rains yes. in the spring. I'm like, where in the heck did a crawdad come mm-hmm. from in my front yard? Yeah, I'm supposed to be standing in a creek, so you must have exactly. a creek under there. No, the water the... table rises. Well, this I've yeah. got some woods back behind my house, mm-hmm. and you know, there's little ditches and creeks up there. But it was raining so much where I got some of that runoff that came down my side yard and through my front yard. And mm-hmm. sure enough, I had a freaking crawdad hole in my front yard with the little mud tower that <laughs> sticks up. Which is it's so intriguing, the mud tower. And then you and I talked about the digger wasp, you know, a couple yeah, of weeks ago. Yeah. Now, that was a little smaller hole, but there's actually a wasp uh, or cicada mm-hmm. killer is what it is, Veda. Huh, you know, how smart. I didn't know they were in the ground. Yeah, so well. they, you know, they have holes in the ground. And then you and I both know that... Uh, you know, voles, mm-hmm. you know, V-O-L-E-S, they, they have holes yeah. that... Locusts do. Yeah, but but you're saying this, mm-hmm. in this case, this was uh, some holes that you had seen or customers sent you, and this could have been actually wolf spiders yeah. that were making the right. hole. How does a spider dig See, a hole in the ground? that's my question, and I'm going to actually look that up and research it, because I'm thinking, is there little spider shovels, mm-hmm. you know, or they dig in with their little hands, and... How did they do that? I've really got to find that out because I like to find the whole process of instinct. You got to let me know about I that. I will because sometimes you can prevent it before it gets to that stage when you have more knowledge of their whole life cycle. Yeah, and I don't believe in these spider shovels either. <laughs> we'll be right back. The garden help you need now. Mid South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning, gardeners, and welcome back to the third hour. Remember when uh, we would finish two hours, and I could go. You would we always could go for... say, always say, God, I wish we could do this for another so, hour. So, do we want to go four? <laughs> Good morning, oh, everybody. Morning. And I know we got Mike. Hang on just a second. But if you want to give us a call this morning, Miss mm-hmm. Veda, it's two six zero five nine two six. And if you want to shoot Miss Veda a text, uh, or Mr. Kenneth, or Mr. Kenneth, uh, the Mighty Nine Ninety Facebook page, which a lot of people have done this morning. And then if you miss all of this, and you want to go back and listen to the show later on to get this great information, of uh-huh. course, from Miss Veda, right? Right. Uh, KWM Radio. There you go. See Veda. Right, KWM right. uh, So you can go back and listen to it anytime you want to. You know, the podcast is two hours instead of three, and I haven't figured out which hour is not. I hadn't either. But I'm thinking. It should be the 6 a.m., yeah, 6 a.m., 7 a.m., yeah, 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. hour. Because I would say less people are up at 6 a.m., so they're probably missing some of the first hour. Because, you know, the third hour, we're kind of all awake, and people are up finally. Well, finally. I mean, people are, yeah, finally. It seems late when we get up at 4.30, but during the regular days, you Sounds know. like you're getting on the people that want to sleep in just one time in their life, Miss Veda. Yes. Hmm. I think so, too. Yeah. And I get that, all right. 
<laughs> okay, let's go to Mike calling from Memphis. Good morning, Mike. You're in the Mid-South Garden. Good morning. Hey, Mike. Good morning to you, buddy. I've got a question about a turkey fig tree. Yeah. It, it, it's about four years old. Yes, sir. It's about nine feet tall. Mm-hmm. It's about over 20 feet around. Mm-hmm. The leaves are like eight inches across. And I, all I get is uh, I get a lot of figs, but they don't get no bigger than a marble. Oh, that is small. That's, so that's it's an, four years old, Veda, so that's an established brown turkey fig. Mm-hmm. So, so I think I'm we need to work on the soil then. That, and I wonder if it's the root system circling. Sometimes it'll do that and not provide enough nutrients to make bigger fruit. But that's really hard to tell. So I'm with you. Root stimulator, compost, plant tone, just yeah. more nutrients to, to, and no, and less, less nitrogen for sure. Yeah. And I agree with her, Mike. I mean, I'd go out there and maybe try to aerate the soil, uh, you know, get a pitchfork or whatever, just poke some holes all up under uh, or on the root zone, if you will, of this fig. And then I would come back and I would put a application, uh, just a layer of compost down under the fig. And the compost can be uh, earthworm castings. It can be cow manure. Mm-hmm. It can be the cotton burr compost or the cotton burr blend. Any of those, mushroom compost, any of those. And put a layer down. And then, like Veda said, come back and put a, a really good organic fertilizer down that you can even do now. Uh, and everything you're doing now is going to be for next year, okay? okay. Uh, and whether that's uh, plant tone, garden tone, uh, any of those tone-type products, and then there's one even called Biotone, B-I-O-T-O-N-E. Any of those products, you can come back and put that down on top or under the compost. And then in the spring, let's say in early April, mid-March, early April, come back and feed it again with those products. Mm-hmm. I really think that I'm pay big dividends for your fruit development next year. Yeah. Uh, and the only other thing yeah. is, you know, you might get the pH checked also up under this fig. You know, if that pH is around four and a half, which we see a lot of, mm. that's just way too acidic. You know, you want to put some lime down to bring that pH up. But okay. initially, I'd poke the holes, I would feed it with a good organic, and I'd put a layer of compost down. And like I said, come mm-hmm. back in the spring and feed it again. And then also, if you're getting like a lot of fruit. But no, they are, but just not, they're not maturing. So though. maybe take some off so that way all the nutrients, because it'd be better to have 30 figs that are big than 45 that are small so and we recommend that on fruit trees like if you take some of the newer figs off that gives energy and makes how hard that is to do is to pluck a good healthy fig off of a big tree i had to do it the peach tree and i just stood there and stared back and forth i mean probably 30 minutes trying to get the guts up to take one off and i did and it worked so so do all that fertilizing and everything and then if you get a lot of fruit Mm -hmm. maybe take some off i really think it'll help you though mike honestly if you if you work on that soil buddy that'll be something i can I can work on. Yeah, right. let us and, 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 right now, and yeah. give us an update also. And if I, I'll do some research. There used to be a gentleman in town. His name was uh, what Bill Covard. Oh yeah. I mean, he was like the fig guru of the mid south. Uh, I'll do a little digging, Mike. Also myself, I've I've never grown a fig personally. I love them. I even like them as an ornamental tree. I love the way they look. 
but I'll do a little digging also and see if there's anything else out there that I, we haven't thought about, and I'll make myself a note and talk about it next weekend if there's something else mm-hmm. that you definitely need to do, okay? And you might have said this, but does, does it always fruit? It just never gets big. Just never gets big. Okay. Yeah. All righty. Do that soil prep and the pH. Definitely do the pH. And okay. thanks for the call. It's a really good question because we love our figs. Yeah, we do. I got another question. Sure. Uh, yes. About a crepe myrtle. It, is it possible to take a cutting of a tree and plant it and make it grow? Yes. I mean, you can, you know, basically you can take almost cuttings off of anything, Mike. In this case, you know, you'll take uh, about a 10 or 12 inch cutting. Now, you really don't want brand new mm-hmm. tissue. Yeah. You want kind of semi-old tissue. Like the middle of that. Yeah, but and you're not going back to the hard trunk mm-hmm. itself. So you go out, you know, you make a cutting. Now, the, the thing with the cutting is you, you pull all the leaves off except for the few at the top. You make sure that you make the cutting at an angle. You don't cut it just flat. Cut it at an angle. And then might get like a, uh, I don't know, a, a, just a knife and kind of, you know, rough up the bark down at the bottom where you made the cutting. Just kind of scrape the bark up a little bit. Okay. And then typically you get the cutting, you dip it in water, and you dip it in a rooting powder called root tone, okay? And, of okay. course, being wet, that powder will stick to the cutting. And then you get your pot with your soil, already have a hole pushed down in the soil, you set the cutting down in there, you push the dirt back around it because you don't want to knock off the powder when you push it into the soil and keep it moist and keep it warm. And most definitely you can take some cuttings off those crepe myrtles. Okay, would it be about the same to plant it in the ground? It would. Now the thing I say put it in a pot for, Mike, and you can do both. I mean, in in a container, you know, you can monitor the moisture right, and yes. you can put it where it's not getting full sun you can put it where it's getting filtered sun because yeah, you kind of got to give them extra attention yeah. baby them at first so do a little bit of both mike you got everything to gain and nothing to lose now most people will start doing this in the spring uh, more so than they would this time of year good idea yeah all right, that's what that's what I was wanting to know because yeah. I'm going to try that also. Oh, All sounds right. good. And you have to call us and let us know how it works. All right, Mike. All thank right, you thank you. Much. Thank you, buddy. Have a great weekend, Mike. Thank you for calling right. in. Um, I just uh, I've got a new fig tree this year, and you probably have it too. It's Generi, G E N E R I, Generi. There's so many figs out there I now. Know it. And this one is like the largest fruiting. Fig yeah. or the the figs are larger, yeah, yeah. and uh, it's actually from Italy, but they don't know the real um, the origin, origin mm-hmm. of it. Yes, <clears throat> and it's hardy here, which is always good because we've got some fig trees that are kind of mm-hmm. maybe maybe not. But this is a good one to try, too, because it stays smaller, but you can get a lot of fruit on it. Yeah, it's kind of like a dwarf that you get the big fruit off yeah. of. But you know, whether it's the Celeste. Uh, the mm-hmm. brown turkey that Mike was just talking about, LSU purple, LSU gold, uh, the one that you're talking yeah, about, Veda, Miss Figgy. the little Miss Figgy. Yeah. I mean, there's there's some really good figs out there. But also, I was going to say with uh, with Mike, you know, weather could have something to do with that. But he said it wasn't happening just this year. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's been happening the last two or three years also. Mm-hmm. So that's why I think it's more than just weather that's affecting yeah. his fig. I know, and Production. then I, I'm all, I'm still wondering if the roots are circling it. 
you know, and that's hard to really find out unless you start doing a lot of digging or you can see on the top surface where a root will come up and then wrap around the tree. You can see that too. But definitely I would do all the soil, everything you were talking about. Mm. And if that doesn't improve it, then maybe it is a root <coughs> issue. And let me say this, um, Diane Lyons texted in, uh, we were talking about the pre-emergence early with David. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yes, you know, we, you know, typically people put a pre-emergent down in the fall and then of course they'll do it again in the spring. But like uh, Diane uh, just takes it in, tip, you know, she is saying basically quarterly, and she is so right. When you put a pre-emergent down, that pre-emergent, most of them, most of them have about a 90-day residual, sometimes up to 120 days, depending on how heavy you put the product down. But let's say just an average rate uh, of application, about a three-month residual. A lot of people out there, Veda, that are doing their own uh, lawns, they'll put a pre-emergent down every three months through the year. I know I would do that. You and know? maybe over the years be able to t- taper back. And that would be quarterly, like uh, mm-hmm. Diane just yeah. said. Yeah, so yes, she's exactly right. That works wonderfully as well. Quarterly. Yeah. That's kind of hard to say for me. For some reason, quarterly. <laughs> We're going to cordially... Job. Go away to a break, Uh, and we'll be right back. (laughs) Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Glad y'all can join us. We're in our third hour, and I'm Veda with Palladio Gardens in Memphis. Yes, ma'am, and I'm Kenneth with Dan West Garden Centers. Palladio is right there on Central Avenue, and Dan West is right there on Poplar and Highway 64, Veda. Great places to go to mm-hmm. if you yeah. want some good information. Like I said, we can check your pH for you. You can find trees, shrubs, ornamentals, houseplants, and everything in yeah. between. And that brings up, and, and you know, I should let you do this because okay. you're the expert when it comes to houseplants. This is okay? my passion. Will you go and let me see just how much you know? Exactly. But, <laughs> but the houseplant of the week this week is going to be the Pink Princess Philodendron. Lord have mercy, you're right. And the reason I wrote that one down, okay, is because most houseplants are relatively inexpensive mm-hmm. if you think about it. Compared to these. Yeah. yeah. And I was thinking, all right, what what sets this house plants apart? Why why is this one more expensive than some of these other house plants? And if you ever get online and look at some of the prices on pink mm-hmm. princess philodendron, I'm like, there's got to be yeah. something going on that I don't know about. And then also you look at it and go, you've got to get it from a garden center because that's way too much online. Yes, exactly. So I was thinking, all right, so let me do a little research. So mm-hmm. I, I started researching uh, Pink Princess Philodendron, which I know we have some, and I know you carry them also, Veda. Uh, they're pricey because of its rarity. And I was thinking, okay, mm-hmm. why is it so yeah. rare? What makes this plant rare mm-hmm. when I see it in the garden center? Yeah, okay? outside of it having pink on it, but well, exactly. still, but why? And, and okay. you're right. It, let me. You're right. I should say that it, it is a house <laughs> plant. And they call it pink princess because it's not just the green foliage. You also have some of that beautiful pink coloration mm-hmm. in the in the foliage. Okay. So first of all, it's pricey because it's very rare. Uh, it can only be grown, which I didn't know this, from tissue cultures in a lab. Okay. Isn't that amazing? So they take the the part of the tissue and they grow it in a in a lab. And then they said only a few from each batch 
reveal the pigmentation. Yeah, so they so been... yeah, so you're taking these tissue cultures, okay? Mm-hmm. You're growing them in a lab, and you're not guaranteed that any of them are going to come out and have that pink pigmentation. Yeah. You know, and it's since... like a, a mutational hiccup, if you will. Right. Okay. I, I still love that, and. That's another reason why the price would go up some, because the oh, amount of time. My God. And you're yeah. not, I mean, on most houseplants, you take a cutting stick in the ground, you got the same houseplant. You do a thousand that way and yeah. have a thousand next week. Where with these, you can take a thousand tissue cultures, Veda, growing them in the lab. You don't know if you're going to get any of them that have that pink mm. pigmentation. So that's what they mean by the rarity of the plant, Okay. But if you ever do get one, y'all, and Betty, you know this, it needs a good, uh, bright, filtered light, and that would keep a balance of the dark green and the pink foliage. In other words, you don't want to put it in full sun, mm-hmm. okay? And you don't want to stick it in a dark corner. You want to give it good, di- indirect light that's fairly bright to kind of keep that pink yes. pigmentation. Not a lot of water either. Yeah, so, you know, well. Oh, who, is that on your who list? Who doesn't overwater? I know. And then they also said, Beta, that if you start losing some of the pink pigmentation on the pink princess philodendron, okay, mm-hmm. and you're doing everything right, and you start losing some of that pink pigmentation, they say go in there with a pair of snips and you cut back just above the last variegated leaf, okay? You're cutting a lot of the green off, in other words, but you cut right above the last variegated leaf, Mm -hmm. and that will encourage them to produce more of the variegated pink pigment leaves. Which we definitely want. (laughs) That's why you buy the plant. Yeah, that's why you're buying it. And it made the comment, I mean, no one wants, uh, I forget, uh, the green prints. Right, because we have those for cheap. Right, that's my point. So, yeah, the pink pigmentation is what makes the plant the plant. Uh, and it's almost, they said, like a cult following on this plant. No kidding. People will spend a ton of money for this pink princess philodendron. Now, I like I said. say a lot more, but not up in the hundreds. But you get online, and I've they, seen some there. for $300. No, no we're not. No, no. And, and the garden centers are, no, you can get it yeah. for 70 or 80 bucks, mm, you right. know. And then you've got, so we have so many young people coming in for the exotic looking plants uh, because we've got the pink princes. Then we have. Um, and that's not the only one. Yeah. We've got the ring of fire. Which we're going to try to do maybe a house plant, a house plant of the week every week. Yeah. And I love the ring of fire. Makes me think of Johnny Cash. Yeah, it does. Good, Beautiful good plant. Good Memphis one. And a pink, oh, just called pink philodendron. Mm-hmm. Which is not the but, pink princess we're talking right, about. Right, right. And this one I need to look at a little more, too, because it starts one color and it, it looks like it uh, moves into a pink color. The ring of fire is kind of yellow, but then when the new leaves come out, they're the ring of fire, I guess. But isn't that, a, to me, Veda, and maybe, you know, I'm not the expert on house plants. okay? That's probably one of my weakest subjects, to be honest with you. Used to be mine. <laughs> yeah. So, but there are so many, it seems like to me, new cultivars that are out there. You know, it when I was growing up, you know, the, let's say the pothos, for example. Yeah. You know, anybody could grow a pothos. Everybody grew a pothos. Well, now it's not just your old-fashioned pothos that's available anymore. Mm-hmm. 
Gosh, there, there's white variegated there's, ones. There's so many different varieties out there now. One called C E B U E, I think. It's a potho cebu, something like that. Yeah, I mean, think about even the ficus trees. You oh, know, when I was word. growing up, it was just a ficus benjamina, you know, mm-hmm. just the old fashioned same ficus old, same tree. Oh, yeah. Within the fiddle leaf fig, mm-hmm. you know, that has the bigger leaves yeah. on it. Now the, the Ollie. The Audrey, Audrey you like is Audrey, beautiful. Don't you? Yeah, I mean, there's so there there are different varieties mm-hmm. of these same same old same old houseplants yeah. that you and I grew up with. Yeah, yeah. You know, even some of the other philodendrons that have the the lime green foliage on mm-hmm. it. I mean, so it's it's not just your old fashioned houseplants yeah. that you're finding, you know, now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Dracaenas, they used to be, you'd see the corn plant over in the corner leaning over at the office. Collecting dust. Right, right. And now there's different colors of corn plants and look a little more healthier. And those corn plants can actually take low light. I love them. Yeah, and then there's Dracaena. There's, you know, if you're thinking you don't have enough light, well, I mean, unless you're living in a cave. If you're on the north side of the house and you've got curtains, that'd probably be slightly darker, you know. There's, we've got bathroom plants, <laughs> we've got uh, low light plants, bookshelf plants, oh, yeah. you know. Air purifying plants. Yeah, yeah. And then the air plants, yeah. because, you know, they grow like at Florida. I saw, went for uh, walks through the woods with my son and grand- granddaughter, and I saw the tillandsias in the trees, which seems bizarre from Tennessee, you know. I mean, they don't need to be potted in uh-uh. soil or anything. You just dip them in water like mm-hmm. once a week, and they just yeah. grow. You can have them in a little glass bowl and just, mm-hmm. it's pretty, it's amazing. Yeah. It so really the, is. And the key is dip them in water, not let them sit. Because, uh. ooh, if you let them sit, then they, and then they're real artistic looking. Like, we have a pot mm-hmm. that's square. And kind of tall and has a face on it, like a humorous face. And we took one of the tillandsias that looks, you know, more like upright grass, but real pretty, and just stuck it in the top. And that can be like that forever. And all I have to do is mist it every once in a while. But I've got this really fun decorative pot that looks like it's got hair sticking right up. And I don't have to maintain it <laughs> as hard as I do some others. So, and, but I know we only got like a you know, minute, minute and a half left before we go to the break. What are, what are some of your do's and don'ts uh, when it comes to houseplants? I mean, I know there's so many, so many mm-hmm. different varieties yeah. Lord, out there, but... You know, I typically I think you need a pot that has good drainage. Mm-hmm. I always start there. Yeah. You need a good high quality potting soil, a soil that's actually going to hold some moisture, but at the same time drain. Right. And then I guess what would you say, Veda, is don't go crazy with the watering mm-hmm. can. Yeah, exactly. We did a couple of different ways. And if you water, let them go dry, not where they're like sucked off the side of the container. But on where a dryish you, side. Yeah, dryish yeah. side. Yeah. They, it works really good, but then that's kind of having them just sit there, not really trying to grow anymore. You're just maintaining. You're right? maintaining. So we bump up the water just a little more, gotcha. not to where we ever have saturated saturated soil. Got it. And really, we don't like get the mm. entire root ball full and heavy. Yeah. And then, <clears throat> excuse me. And then what? I was guess the next? feeding. I mean, so so drainage is good. Mm-hmm. A high quality potting soil, making sure that you're not heavy handed oh, with the, the watering, watering can. 
Yeah, y'all, y'all. Worm castings, they're still incredible. I'm seeing them more incredible with the houseplants. I don't see how they work so fast. They're supposed to work slow, but these are working fast, and I think because they're starving Mm -hmm. for food because they're coming off of growing Mm -hmm. where they're, they're giving it more food more frequently. So a little bit of food would help them grow. But if you want them to grow slower, don't water as much and don't feed as much. But your secret weapon on houseplants is a top layer of the earthworm Mm -hmm. castings. Yeah, and I'm not even doing the mulching thing. I've got a scoop because I can't get to all of them. I'm just throwing it in there, and it's working. Yeah, that's all that matters. Yeah, we can go through one more thing I want to say about houseplants, and then we'll go to more topics. We'll be right back. And welcome back to Mid-South Garden. Okay, one more thing on the house plants. Now, there's a lot of things that we do where we don't have to actually plant them in the container, which uh-huh. I do like to do that. But sometimes they just need to get it home, make it look good, and then move on later to transplanting it. Oh, I got you. And, you know, that's one of the reasons why they have containers without holes in them. Um, a- so they don't... A- uh, uh, orchids, for example. Yeah, orchids work. But like if you're, yeah, they do. And the reason I said that is because a lot of times when you buy a beautiful orchid, mm-hmm. it's in a plastic pot. But yeah. the plastic pot is sitting in a beautiful looking ceramic pot. Right, the yeah. ceramic pot has no drainage whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So to keep that orchid alive, you have to take that thing out of the ceramic yeah. decorative pot, Veda. Right. Set it in some water, let it drip dry, then put it back into the pot. In other words, some pots are out there just for show only. Right, yes. Not for functional ability. Right, that is so true. Um, so you take the pot, say it's a bigger pot, and you, you kind of want to get it in proportion of the container that you're buying it in. So like if it's an 8-inch container, you know, you, you either you could get an 8-inch and just set it in there perfectly. Right. But I usually like to go with the larger one because eventually they may be transplanting. But then when you do that, you're kind of like, well, that looks funky. So we do things like we put paper in the bottom or with, and then a saucer on top of that. And then you actually pack paper around the side so it doesn't wobble back and forth. And then you moss it on the top of uh-huh. that with green moss, sphagnum, Spanish, whatever. Got so it. it actually looks like it's planted in there, but you didn't have to go through all of that. Got it. And then when you're watering, since there's no hole in the bottom of the container, it can't get on your carpet. Mm-hmm. But you need to make sure you haven't watered so much that the water's up around setting, the thing. Setting down there yeah. in the bottom of that pot that exactly. has no drainage. Exactly. Now that's pretty cool. Yeah, Little tricks so of that, the trade there. Yeah, that works really well. And then... You can get them with holes in the bottom, but get nice saucers to go under or clear saucers. But you don't have to have to plant it in the container right yeah. now. You can just set it in there. You're, you'll water probably a little bit more and put worm castings a little more, but you need to have that nutrients. And then later, because like right now, I'm not really saying transplant them into bigger mm-hmm. containers, you know, because mm-hmm. they're kind of slowing down mm-hmm. eventually. And then spring would be a good time to transplant. Yeah, let me say this. I know we got Bob from Midtown on line one, but let me say this real quick, Veda, also. And we'll repeat this many times. <laughs> This fall is when you have a container, a house plant, for example, inside the house, right? Mm-hmm. And you've got a pot that actually has drainage. 
which most of them do, drainage mm-hmm. holes in the bottom of it. I've seen a lot of people use a clay saucer as their saucer indoors. Right. Not a good idea because water will pass through a clay saucer. And if you've got this beautiful little hardwood floor down there and you got your saucer, okay, because mm-hmm. somebody told you to, you know, make sure you use a saucer inside, make sure you use something that water is not going to pass through. Yeah. Right. Plastic, vinyl, mm-hmm. whatever. Just don't use a clay saucer as your saucer on the gr- on the floor. Mm-hmm. Now, some people use a clay saucer and have it elevated, yeah. so you don't. It's not as bad that way. But just be careful with the type of saucer you're using inside your house. You want something that's going to hold water and not let water pass through it. Right. Yes. Good. Good advice. We carry protecto mats that you have them, I bet, that have the cork in them that will help absorb because we like to have house plants everywhere. And then in our showroom across from the garden center, we have lots of um, like uh, brown Jordan furniture mm-hmm. and, you know, stuff that you just don't polish or clean up mm-hmm. if it gets wet. Mm-hmm. But we want to have plants on the table. So we use the Protecto mats. The little cork mats, like you said. Yeah. They have cork, the cork mats have kind of like a... It's just a cork. Yeah. It's a cork top is right. what it is. And they're With round. plastic underneath. And they're round and you set yeah. your saucer on top of that. So they're not do, ugly. No. no. And if you get a little, you know, seepage from your clay saucer mm-hmm. that you're using that you shouldn't be, yeah. then the cork mat is there to kind of help protect you. Yeah. We had a uh, showroom designer, which isn't there now, but... We've always have to watch designers because I only think of the beauty and not the whole other issues. Like, for instance, he did a clay saucer on a table. Yeah, nothing like a a water ring on an antique. Yeah, (laughs) and it was one of the sections that I don't go through very often. Yeah. But it was like three days or so. And I saw it, no protecto mat, anything, and I pulled it off this yeah. teak table, this yeah. really nice teak table, and there was a ring. That's what I'm saying. Nothing. nothing. We, we had to take it back to the wood shop and have our girl redo it, oh, yeah. you know, but yes, that is such a good thing. And, and the same said. thing with the hardwood floor. Oh, baby. We just don't man. want to mess them up, you know. No kidding. Yeah. Oh, hardwood floors. I just have to say this really quick. I remember at this place I was, we would uh, put Christmas trees in in houses and all of that. This was a big Christmas tree and it wouldn't stand up. So we had, they had some wood. What do you think they did? Oh, God. They screwed it into the wood floor. Yes, yes, yes. Didn't fall over. That's for sure. No, that's good. They didn't know they were trying to take it up. (laughs) I don't even want to think. Dude, (laughs) wait, did we have? And Bob, hang on. Then we have Xenia question, and then we'll go to Bob. Let's go to Bob first. Good morning, Bob. You're in the garden. Yes, good morning. Uh, I've got a question about uh, the damage caused by flooding. Uh, If you all remember the recent, just what, last week, the flooding in central Mississippi. Yes, sir. What, after the water recedes, uh, what? How much, how much damage would be done to topsoil? I mean, that's a, you know, that is a great question. Because yeah. uh, it can wash it off or compact it. Yeah, now, oh. typically speaking, Bob, I mean, oh. if in, in areas that are, that are barren, okay, that have nothing but soil. So it uh, is. Yeah, I mean, okay. you're definitely, you know, if you have a flood like that, uh, you're going to have swift water, and you're going to lose topsoil. Yes. But in areas, and in, in, in a lot of times we're seeing these floods, these flash floods, 
yes. happen in neighborhoods that are well established. Mm-hmm. Okay, That's I mean, there's right. you know the floods coming down the street in some cases. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. that being Bob, that being the case, most of these established areas have landscapes. They've got grass, you know, in their lawns. So we're not seeing a lot of erosion or a lot of problems in those, really, those type of settings. Yeah. It's there again, mostly where it's just barren and there's no, nothing there to hold mm-hmm. the soil in place. Yeah, right. And you're not going to find a whole lot of that. Typically speaking, in a lot of these beautiful neighborhoods where we're getting these flash floods from these heavy downpours. So it's not, oh. it's not really a, a problem uh, for say. Now, Let's just say if there right. is some erosion, you know, where they pick up the soil, it's going to deposit somewhere else. Yeah. 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 Now, unfortunately, a lot of times, a lot of that soil goes into a main tributary like the Mississippi River, for example. Yeah, yeah that's right. But typically, Bob, overall, no, sir, not a problem at all. I see. Uh, would it be prudent for more when when home builders are mm-hmm. like building in subdivisions mm-hmm. to leave more green spaces. Oh, oh my well, goodness. I wish they could. Good Lord, it'd would. be great and not yeah. take down every tree that's there before yeah. they start rebuilding the houses and not, you know, take yeah. up the 12 inches of beautiful soil that was mm-hmm. there, you know, for our last hundred years. No, yeah. developers don't care about that. Uh-huh. Now, but there again, even if they do everything wrong as far as the soil goes talking about the developers bob we still as homeowners we still come in there you know and the the lawn has been either resodded it's been reseeded so we're kind of taking it back over if you will yeah Yeah. Uh, but no would would it not be a beautiful thing if they came in and and left green spaces (laughs) instead of having these blank lots where you have nothing but Mm. trees and that's what i've told veda before you know Mm -hmm. you go into a brand new neighborhood yeah uh it looks horrible because all you see is street, maybe a fire hydrant, and, and houses, okay? And heat. <laughs> but, but years down the road, Bob, if you go back down that same street, I mean, people have planted, you know, the trees and the shrubs, and, you know, yes. and they've got their... So, you know, it's almost like we recapture it ourselves as homeowners and trying to undo the damage that a lot of the developers do. Let me put it That's that way. That's right. You're, I understand. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, sir. Thank Bob, you. Bob, have a great day, great buddy. Call. Great call. I've had uh, before where I've I've read, heard, if trees were cell phone towers, we would have a tree in every single yard. (laughs) Isn't that the truth? (laughs) And let me say this about Bob, too, because he's from Midtown. One of the beauties of Midtown is it's an older uh, established area, Mm -hmm. if you ask me, okay? And you're going to see a lot more of the trees down there. I mean, if you want to see some of the most beautiful trees in Shelby County, you know, you drive through Midtown. And that's what I meant by the the homeowners kind of retaking over what the problems that they left from the developers, right? Right, exactly. Exactly. We do have to recapture it all. And speaking of flooding, um, Miss Pat, that we we started working for her yard in Frayton, Fayette County mm. has this big drainage ditch behind where natural creek water and everything would run through. I mean, it was there, but they say, you know, it never floods. Mm, never say never. I know. That's what I was thinking, too. But we built right on. I mean, we redid our entire yard and then we got down to there. We put some 
ground cover on the slope down to the oh, you did. little creek. We built beds what right was, up against it. What was there before, Veda? Was it just kind of just nothing yeah, there other than just the brush yeah. and all that? So, I mean, we had an old antique fence there to lead to this place, and we had some raised beds built up surrounded by the creek stone plants were just planted and then we had a dry creek bed and, and a raised we put in a raised patio for her swing and all of that so and all that was absolutely beautiful that y'all had yes. landed but at the, the edge of the property there's that drainage yeah, ditch right so she sent me a picture mm. and the water was covering our entire landscape and coming up toward the house which goes up on a hill. Wow. I, we couldn't even see the landscape, the concrete pad, or anything. So we knew it was gone. When that water receded, you couldn't even tell it had been there. Perfect. I mean, we were amazed so long. It wasn't mm-hmm. running hard or fast. It just rose mm-hmm. and then receded. She got lucky, I'm telling you. Now, if that had been just bare ground, she probably would have lost, like Bob was saying, yeah. some of that good topsoil. Oh, soil, yeah, so. absolutely. Well, let's see. We still have the question about the zinnias, and we've got some callers. So we're going to go to a break, but I'm going to let Philip take these messages on the callers. But, you know, we'll be right back. Two six zero five nine two six. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid South Garden. Glad y'all can join us this morning. And like Kenneth says, one of our texters. Yeah, we had Miss, uh, let's see if I can find that here. Uh, Miss Audrey Fielding texted in, and I know we got Sarah from Oakland, so hang on just a second. But Audrey texted in and said, what do y'all think happens when you get dried zinnia seeds from already bloomed zinnias, right? And just put them in all the types of, in the colors of zinnias and just into one Mm -hmm. bag. Um, If you sow those seeds next spring, will one plant have varieties Mm-hmm. Of color, no, <laughs> no, no. In other words, so if you have zinnia seed or right. zinnia plants and you're harvesting the seed, and you mm-hmm. got a lot of different mixed colors out there, uh, which I think is great to harvest the seed, Veda. If you go out there and re-sow and put them all in the same bag, grind them up, mm-hmm. put them in the same bag. When I say grind them up, rough them up, get the husk off, put them in the same bag. You go out there next spring and plant those seeds, you're going to have the same thing. You're just going to have mixed zinnias mm-hmm. out there with each have their individual colored bloom. So we were looking at one seed making different colors. Right, on the bloom. Which, yeah, no, you're going to have a pink do. and a white and a green or whatever colors you harvested the seed from. You're going to get those same colors typically speaking, but you're not going to have all those colors on one bloom. Right. But Audrey, appreciate the text, though, dear. Let's go to Sarah from Oakland. Good morning, Sarah. You're in the Mid-South Garden. Good morning. Hey, Sarah. Good morning to you. I have two snowball bushes that are taller than me, and I even cut them back this spring, and I have two oak leaf hydrangeas that are full of, I mean, they're big and full leaves, but neither one has bloomed this year. Well, starting and to back me up on this, starting with the oak leaf mm-hmm. hydrangea. Yeah, you know a lot of these hydrangeas that bloom this year, off of last year's growth, mm-hmm. didn't bloom this year because the blooming tissue was died or killed in the winter. Exactly, and I'm seeing that in other locations. So that's probably okay. what it is. Okay, and, and then Sarah, the other reason sometimes is people go out there and they'll cut these plants back 
uh, in the fall when they, you know, all they're seeing are these sticks yeah. coming out of the ground. Right. And they're like, I don't want to see, look, look at those sticks. Mm-hmm. I'm going to cut them back or, or, you know, cut them down to the ground. Well, the same thing. You're still cutting off the blooming tissue for the next year. So there are a lot of times that we do everything right, but depending on the winter, you know, if mm-hmm. it gets crazy up and down temperatures or this kind of winter like we just had where we had a week of freezing temperatures, a lot of the blooming tissue on a lot of these shrubs won't make it through that type of weather so it doesn't bloom the next year. Okay. Okay. So I guess I just got to be patient, but I can go ahead and cut them back this fall? No. Yes. You want to do it early, late spring. Yeah, you want to do it right after they bloom. Now, you can Mm -hmm. go in there and selectively clean it up, but don't go in there kind of like your old mop head hydrangeas. You don't go in there and cut them back in the fall because you're cutting off the blooming tissue for the next year. Okay. Okay. Okay, I'll follow your advice. All right. right. Let us know, Sounds Sarah. good, and we'll get some, she'll have pretty hydrangeas next year. Um, do you, <laughs> I read, I know this is not right. It just cannot be right. What Maybe somebody was just thinking this could happen. Huh? Scientists attach stilts to the legs of ants. To prove Hold that. Hold on. Yeah. <laughs> they, uh, stilts to the leg of ants. <laughs> To prove that ants return to their nest by counting their steps. The ants with stilts overshot their nest by roughly 50% due to the new length of their steps. Wow. So you're saying, all right, hold on. I've got to, I don't know. I've got to, to push back on that. Yeah. Because I've always read that ants leave a scent trail. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's how they go out and forage and they're yeah. following the scent of the ants that went out uh-huh. before them well that would be the same way of coming back home yeah so you're saying some of these scientists are thinking that and it could be true that they're they know how many steps they've taken yes. to get to a certain point so they know how many steps they have to take to get back and you're saying if they're up <laughs> right. they're going past the hole of yeah. course that they usually you're go in by 50 uh, percent well i guess ant stilts are the same as spider shovels oh Vader, that is so funny it just can't but who be knows? Who, I, uh, I don't, I, I, and i don't really really need to know that but i think that's pretty neat though i mean because somebody is crazy enough to do an experiment <laughs> like that uh, or some why, scientist why? is crazy enough to do an experiment or it's like just that. somebody <laughs> kidding because I just said scientists, but I have, and I didn't cross-reference or anything, but usually they will say scientists from blah, 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 if it's like for real. And then there's, if you want to be Memphis with your shrubs, y'all need to look at the St. John's wart. There's yeah. a blue velvet and a blues festival. Mm-hmm. St. John's wart's evergreen. Get it, blue festival. festival. And blue velvet and blue suede shoes and around here it with your elvis um hostage and memphis is home of the blues yeah yeah yep. so that worked out great they weren't made just for memphis but this just kind of works we're along. saying that yeah but st john's wart is deer resistant and evergreen so that would be something to plant along with Barberry, because you know that's disease. I mean, deer resistant. And I, and I love some of these newer barberries, Veda. You know, I've talked about the orange rocket mm-hmm. barberry, which is not just your old fashioned, you know, crimson barberry. It's got more of a orangey, yellowish type foliage. And then you were mentioning one. 
Uh, I got a really excellent, what was that name? Anyway, Victory. But, but I just. Uh, an admiration. Yes. Which I do admire, don't you? Absolutely. So, I mean, there again, it's just one of those where they've taken these shrubs um, and they've made, they've made them better. Let mm-hmm. me just put it that way. Uh, you know, think about hydrangeas, for example. When you and I were growing up, you know, it was just the pink and blue hydrangeas. Now there's so many other varieties mm-hmm. out there. Think about, uh, you know, the heuchera, the coral bells. Uh, right. There's so many out there. Think about the hostas, of course, the host fanatics. Mm-hmm. They love it. There's so many out there. And even the Linton Rose, you know, for example. Oh, but it, yeah. but it's everything, Veda. It's not only the perennials, the trees, but it's mm-hmm. the shrubs. There's so many beautiful new cultivars that are out there that are, to me, so much better looking mm-hmm. than what you and I were growing yeah, up with and what yeah. was available then. Because we're taking something native and grooming it or mixing two together, hybridizing two together. and But we're still, st- people are still discovering other plants too that we haven't hybridized or it's plants that we've had all along, but mm-hmm. they weren't marketed right or or possibly, you know, they weren't grown right at mm-hmm. first because the growers make a big difference on your plants that you get. You know, there's growers that grow stuff for landscape, which means it looks, you know, better in the ground. And then we have growers that grow for retail where it looks good in the container and then it'll look better in the ground. Well, it won't be long, y'all, before Aveda's going to be saying, hey, it's fall, y'all. And those are the days I'm looking for. Me too. Well, we will see y'all next Saturday in the Mid-South Garden.